For more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. Well, the pre-show is any indicator. This one's going to be off the rails. Good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Manitoba. For all those joining us live this morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms, we say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. With Dave Manouk, with Ezra Ginsberg, I'm your host, Drew Mandel, here on this Saturday morning for the next couple of hours to talk about the Winnipeg Jets, talk about everything going on in the world of hockey as we do each and every Saturday morning. Gentlemen, first Legal Curve Hockey Show of 2023. Great to see both of you this morning. I tuned in a little bit here and there on the post-game show last night. I was not on with you, gentlemen, of course, but kudos to both of you on a job well done, and I say good morning to you both. Good morning, boys. Yeah, I thought it was one of our best shows. I think it was, uh, you know, just less is more if you want to, you know, use that. No, I'm just kidding, Drew. Um, but yeah, first show of 2023, boys. 2023 so far feels uh, a little bit different than 2022. I'm not sure exactly. I can't really put my finger on it, but something about me seems a little bit different than than 2022. But uh, I don't know. I guess it means that you know there's good things. A bit lesser than a a bit less than you're at the end of 2022, right? Yeah, yeah, something, yeah, just something feels a little bit different, but I haven't put my finger on it, but uh, maybe we'll get into that later. But uh, look, another huge Jets victory, and you know, you mentioned, Drew, you weren't on the yeah. postgame show, but we we talked about it. It's like another one of those, like the recipe for the Jets, you know, not a very good first period, you know, get badly outshot for the first half of the game, and, and then get timely, timely scoring, and especially on the power play, five on three, right, two goals uh, with two extra men on the ice. Uh, Hellebuck was fantastic, and and you know you, you look at the this Jets team, and you know players like Ehlers and Wheeler, Perfetti, Schmidt. I mean these guys, they're only going to get better. I mean yesterday you saw, especially early on in the game, um, you know there were mm-hmm. some you know p- passes that were going off of sticks, and the timing was a little bit off between um, Ehlers and Connor. But I mean they're only going to get better with with more action, and lucky for the Jets, they've got the Canucks. So you know your your B game has basically been enough to win against the Oilers and the Flames and and the Lightning. The Canucks game was obviously, you know, dominated by the Jets. But these last three games, guys, they've been, you know, all tight games. But, you know, the Jets are winning these games and they're finding ways to win. So even though I don't think, you know, Rick Bonus is going to like the start to the game, I mean, you you got the win against a a really good team, even without Victor Hedman. Aside from Hedman, we talked about it. They were, you know, relatively healthy compared to, you know, what the Jets were a week ago. So, Look at it's been you know last week was a very good week and you know the Jets continue to bank points they continue to close the gap between you know first place Dallas and and themselves and you've got Minnesota chasing you so these are huge points and you know the schedule is going to get a little bit tougher next week we know the Jets have struggled against the Eastern Conference but uh you know certainly against the West and their and in their own division they've been excellent this year well, after that soliloquy, I'll say good afternoon to Dave Manuk. Uh, Dave, good to see you on this uh, Saturday. <laughs> uh, talking, of course, about the Winnipeg Jets. But, you know, uh, you know, as he's not wrong uh, in that the Jets, you know, again, a slow start. We've talked about it. We talked about it on a number of the postgame shows when uh, when I was broadcasting from down south. Uh, you know, slow starts, but they get better as the game goes on. And that third period last night, first of all, that was a fun, fun hockey game. 
Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I'm sure you guys touched on that during the post game show, but it was you know quite an entertaining game from the uh, from a fan's perspective. Um, and, and my and you know being in the crowd last night, I, I really enjoyed it and I thought it was a good level of intensity, good level of uh, hate, which is surprising for these two teams. But I think they each sort of realize where the other one stands in the hierarchy of NHL teams, Dave, that, you know, the Jets are no longer surprising people. They're no longer a surprise team. You're no longer going to see the backup goaltender playing against the Jets by and large, like we saw early in the year, because the Jets are, you know, towards the top of the Western Conference. And the Tampa Bay Lightning, well, you know who the Tampa Bay Lightning are. They're still the uh, the the benchmark teams in this league. And you sort of felt that, I think, extra intensity, and you felt it grow as the game went on last night. And I say good evening to everyone and welcome to the illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding, of course, Drew. Look, I mean, the Jets are, the chat is excited. People are excited. The Jets are undefeated in 2023. And you're right. That that's That is an important hockey game. And we touched on it last night. Very unusual to the amount of dislike between these two teams. And Ian Cole, after the game, was asked about it. And he said that the Jets are kind of known for being a, a chippy team. It's always funny when these narratives exist right as like the you remember jets were big and fast and strong which they've kind of gotten back to a little bit but for a while they weren't and they and yet everyone still referred to the jets as big and fast and strong so um it's funny how those things exist but it seemed like tampa must have come in with that mindset because the level of chippiness between the two teams was uh significant and again folks don't mind a tussle or two so uh when they see the the gloves get dropped it's it's all as for a little excitement and shows you that the points are important and you know we're we're approaching that midpoint of the season and the jets are feeling good about themselves right and i touched on it last night drew i don't know if you heard but i, I said it's funny how like the jets hit their 25th win of the season yeah. in game 39 and and now and last year it was game 57 which again some folks would say well last year it's last year leave it in the past I just think it's you know uh, indicative of, of how much better this team is this year than than they were last. Which again, remember running it back largely the same team is significant, right? Because it goes to show you what a difference some coaching can do for for a club because of the fact that I mean, again, most of the same cl- crew and yet di- much better results. So um, significant, a, a big win for for the Jets. And because I said to Ezzy, you kind of had a, a built in excuse. You could have very easily said, well, we had four guys coming into the lineup. And, and as is 100% right, like it was it was clear the timing wasn't there because you can, and as he said this last night, mm-hmm. you can practice as much as you want. A practice isn't a game. And so once you get into a game where guys actually want to take your head off and not your teammates trying to play you hard but not trying to hurt you, it's a big difference. And so Ehlers, his timing wasn't there. Wheeler, his timing, no. Perfetti, none of their timing was 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 there. And yet, as Ed's touched on, they had five miss, uh, Nate Schmidt had like five shots on that that missed but he still had the, the shots he still was in the right spot all slappers too by the way yeah man. yeah he, he released the, uh, the the schmidt bomb but the point is that <laughs> that you could you you had that built-in excuse say well we had all these new guys come into the lineup i mean we we said this before when do you ever remember having four players all come back into the lineup in one game you just don't see it and it was interesting that rick bonus chose to do mm-hmm. it especially against a tough opponent like tampa and Eventually, the Jets got their legs going, and I think it was a good thing for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it, it that third period, you know, was a pretty good. I mean, it was a pretty impressive period for the Winnipeg Jets. Not so 
much even on the offensive side of things, but you know, obviously they they, they scored a goal and uh, turned out to be the game winning goal. But it was as impressive in the way that they were able to neutralize Tampa Bay. I thought. Now, of course, there was a little bit of uh, hairy moments there. Dylan Demello sweeping the puck off the goal line there. Uh, you know, a, a key moment. But late in the game. I mean, you know, Tamp, you know, Kyle Connor all of a sudden becoming a goon, taking as many penalty minutes in, in last night's game as he took all of last year. But you know that that power play, the Jets. You know, I, I'm sure you guys saw it on the the Jets video. They released it on Twitter. You know, Rick Bonus talking about the penalty kill and the job that the penalty kill did. And I think the the Jets, to some extent, I don't want to say demoralized because that's probably too strong of a word. But for Morgan Barron to get that game-winning goal, mm -hmm. or not the game-winning goal, but the empty net goal when he got it by just out-hustling Tampa Bay. That's all that was. That was just working harder than the Tampa Bay Lightning did on that play. I think they thought that it was just going to be a simple retrieval, get the puck, bring it back on the ice, and continue the six on four. But Braden Point and our buddy Sean Reynolds uh, of Sportsnet tweeted about it. Braden Point basically gave up on the play. He was upset that it you know left the zone to begin with, and he just sort of lollygagged his way back, and it ended up costing the the lightning the the opportunity to really tie the game. And you don't necessarily see that, so I don't know that you know. I think these Jets are they're obviously a good hockey team. That you know you can see it in the standings. They're not just smoke and mirrors. There there's some substance to what they're doing, but I think they're also doing a good job of maybe getting under the skin of their opponent a little bit. We know that Pierre Luc Dubois gets under the skin of every of every opponent, and there were some great net front battles again last night. But I think as an uh, as an entirety, as an entity, the whole team is maybe beginning to frustrate the opponents, and you maybe saw that a little bit at the end of of the game last night, Desi. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you mentioned Pierre-Luc Dubois, and this is no surprise because he's been doing this since he became a member of the Jets, but he was doing that long before with the Blue Jackets, right? And yeah, they mm -hmm. have other players that can get it, like Neil Pionk is a guy that like, I think a lot of people that don't watch the Jets don't really see how he gets under the skin. And a lot of the time, he doesn't get under the skin of players by with cross checks and with big hits. It's just kind of those like subtle kind of stick checks or, you know, a little bit of, you know, body positioning in front of the net. He's a really smart defenseman. But you're right. I think the third period, they definitely shut it down. And, you know, going back to what I was saying before, I'm not trying to, I mentioned this on the post game show, like I'm not trying to be, you know, Debbie Downer here, but, you know, watching the New Year's Eve game against the Oilers, watching the game against, you know, the Flames or the Jets, you can't say that this was, you know, an A effort from, from the Jets. I mean, there were parts of this, big parts of these games that you don't like. And the first period, was really bad last night. Like we talked about it, like the fact that the Jets, you know, left that period tied was was incredible. But right. again, I mean, it's only a one goal lead. So Tampa Bay doesn't capitalize on some of their chances. So what are the Jets going to do? I mean, they're going to take, you know, they're going to take, uh, you know, every opportunity that they can get. So the formula, you don't love the formula, but, you know, for me, you know, it's not going to matter as much tomorrow against Vancouver because you can probably beat Vancouver with your C game. But, you know, next week you've got Detroit <laughs> on Tuesday and then you've got Buffalo and Pittsburgh back to back. All three of those teams, guys, by the way, are playing some pretty good hockey right now. Like, I don't know if the Red Wings or the Sabres are going to end up making the playoffs, but certainly the Penguins are a team that you expect. They're in a playoff spot right now. So, I mean, that's when I think, you know, you're going to have to elevate your game and you're, you're not going to be able to necessarily have one bad period. Because what we've seen before, guys, especially, you know, against the, the Washington Capitals, if you have one bad period, I mean, you, you really can't you know, make up for that. You know, you allow two or three goals in a period against one of these teams. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk to Marty Biron later about the Sabres. They're going to get Eric Comrie back, but Yuka Pekka-Lakonen and Craig Anderson have providing, you know, really good goaltending for them. 
And, you know, Pittsburgh is a team that obviously, you know, has had trouble getting them in the first round, but they're always tough, especially at home, right? So, I mean, that's where I think, you know, you get a little bit concerned. Not saying that I think the Jets are going to lose all three games on the road next week. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying that, you know, I think Connor Hellebuck has really been bailing them out a little bit, in, in not a little bit, quite a bit in these games. And you're not going to be able to have one bad period or one and a half bad periods. You're going to have to, you know, put together, you know, closely resembling a full 60-minute effort. Well, but I mean, to that point, and that's a valid point that you make uh, as the, the full strength, more or less. I mean, sure, you know, Mason Appleton and Logan Stanley are still out of lineup and Sakuman Linen, but you you really, now that you see them, you know, the top six back to, to what you expected it to be, you know, at the beginning of the year or close to the, you know, at least a reasonable uh, resemblance to it, you see just how much talent there was out of the lineup. And even without that talent in the lineup, they were still putting up a record, you know, before prior to last night of 24, 13, and 1. So now they're 25, 13, and 1, and they're basically at full strength, Dave. And, you know, mm. so to me, from my perspective, as you sit here, you know, two games away from the official mark of the season, the sky seems to be the limit for this team. They know that they can win in the face of adversity, and now they're going to get an opportunity to prove that they can win with their, with their lineup, with their, with their mm-hmm. you know, at, at close to full strength. So it's really going to be intriguing to me, as you mentioned, Desi, you know, can they get those slow starts behind them? Can they start to put together sort of that, you know, more fulsome effort that doesn't strictly rely on Connor Hellebuck? That's what I think you want to see now is that you want to see them making it almost easier on Connor Hellebuck and using the talent that they've reacquired and reinserted into their lineup to really, you know, step on their opponents even more, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question, and I don't think you know anyone can quibble with what Az is saying because I think we've all watched these games, and you've wondered in the first ten minutes where the Jets are, and mm-hmm. you can you can attribute that to their lineup and and who they're missing. And now again, you're going to understand that it's going to take a few games for this this core group of players to to be at get to their speed, you know, get to the same. Because look, Nikolai Ehlers, as we touched on, he played game two. Now he's playing game 39. That's a lot of time missed in between games. And so he's you, coming off of sports hernia surgery, Dave, which is one of the harder surgeries they say to, to yes. quickly recover from. Right? Well, especially given the fact that he relies right. so much on speed, right? And so you've got that situation where you really want to ensure that these guys are – that's why, again, like I said, I kind of like the whole tossing them into the deep end of the pool as opposed to dipping your toe in because it does force them to kind of get into the speed. And if the rest of your team – when you have Connor Hellebuck, that does forgive a lot of mistakes. And so that's what we've seen with the Jets with these slow starts is not necessarily mistakes because, you know, the chances haven't necessarily been grade A in terms of, you know, being outshot, but they're being outshot consistently. You know, it's 8-1, 9-1, 10-1 in shots mm-hmm. uh, through the first 10 minutes of every one of these games, which obviously means you don't have possession of the puck, which isn't a good thing. No, no team is going to want to start a game and not, you know, possess the puck. And as he touched on it, I think it was like 78% in the first period of last night's game. So I, I just think that you need to really, the way you come out of the gate is going to be a, a big tell for this team. We'll start to see how, because this team can win, right? They, especially, I think it was Doug said, they they, they can always win when they're getting the, the special teams uh, opportunities. Because you look at the special teams mm-hmm. and especially with Nikolai Ehlers back out there, that first power play unit is lethal. They really are. I mean, it's just, you, and especially you give this team a five on three and it's like, Good night, nurse. Like this, there's, there's no <laughs> chance they're two not. Of them. <laughs> two again. I'm sorry, Andre Vasilevsky. I know he was dealing with an illness earlier in the week, but 
I'm, you know, I don't care. It's funny how people were saying this is this game is being billed as the the battle of the two best goaltenders, and yet the guys making the biggest saves were were the were Pierre Luc Dubois and Dylan Demello. But regardless, you know, the the fact is that the Jets starts are really going to be something an area that they're going to have to focus on because you can't you can't continually be behind the eight ball and trying to play catch up even if the score is zero zero it is kind of demoralizing to just you know kind of weather the storm and let you like as he said let your goaltender get kind of beat up and then have to try and get back into the game well and, and i mean I think also an area of concern but i think this will resolve itself as those guys who were reinserted into the lineup get their sort of their skating legs under them and get the feel for the puck a little bit more is the lack of production at five on five last night I mean, the Jets, you know, won every, you know, they get all their goals uh, not uh, at five on five, you know, and, and that's, I think, a couple times this year that they've done that. Now, that's not a recipe for success uh, on, on a regular basis. The majority of the play is still at five on five, and I don't expect that that's going, I think that's more of a function, as you mentioned, about getting four new four guys back into the lineup it, 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 on, on one night that sort of led to a lot of their struggles at five on five. But, you know, to your point, though, with the talent that they've assembled, with the talent they have on their special teams, if the opposition is going to get into penalty trouble, make them pay for it. And the Jets did that last night against Tampa Bay. They did that against Vancouver, uh, however long ago that was. Uh, you know, so, you know, take advantage of that lethal power play that should be, you know, one of the better power play units in the league, Ezzy. Yeah, absolutely. The special teams overall have been better this year. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the penalty kill clearly, I mean, for me, that's almost, you know, more important than the power play. I think a lot of people would agree with that, you know, because it just shows you how well you're playing as a team defensively, right? But, you know, another thing to, to mention here, like we mentioned, you know, the game tomorrow afternoon in Vancouver, of course, post-game show will be around quarter to five. But then we talked about, you know, that road trip. I mean, that to me, again, I'm not you know, setting the Jets up to, to fail here. I'm just saying, you know, that's not the easiest road trip to go into Detroit and then have Buffalo-Pittsburgh, you know, back-to-back -back on, on Thursday and Friday night. But then you look at kind of the schedule a couple of weeks, you know, after that, and it's not the hardest schedule, guys, right? Like, you've got Arizona at home. Again, these weird kind of, you know, three-game road trips, one game at home, and then another, you know, big road trip coming up. The Jets have five in a row on the well, road starting on the 17th. But, you, you know, you've got Montreal, you've got Toronto, you've got Ottawa, Philly back-to-back, and then you've got Nashville there. So obviously, you know, mm -hmm. Toronto, Nashville, Ottawa's playing some decent hockey, even though I don't think they're going to end up being in the playoffs. I mean, you've got some easy games, easier games coming up against Arizona and Montreal. And then you throw that game tomorrow against Vancouver, right? So the schedule is not going to get harder until, you know, later in the month, even though next week is not easy. But my, my point is that, you know, this is, uh, you know, an opportunity, I think, you know, for the Jets to to take over first in, in, in the Central, or at the very least, you know, stay within striking distance of the stars. Well, what you're seeing, though, is to your point, if you want to look at the stand and, and, and before I get into that, I just want to say, I don't know what the schedule maker is doing, but sending the Jets out east for three games, flying them home for one game and then sending them back out east for another, well, to start at least another three games. And then it, it, it you know, meanders through Nashville. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, I just don't understand, you know, why you, you put the, it's not like, the, and there's not like there's a big gap in those games. It's not like there's a week off where they're spending it at home. They go out east next week. They got, it, it's what, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, if I'm not mistaken, on, on the road. You come back to play Arizona on the Sunday, and then you go right back out east uh, on the following Tuesday. It just doesn't make yeah. any logic. You've got sense. Montreal that you following know, I, I, week. The week after yeah. next week is Montreal, Ottawa, 
uh, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, right? So again, oh, like it's a bit yeah. of a, a mixed bag, right? Like I think, you know, next week scares me a little bit more just because of the, you know, the back-to-back and the fact that, you know, these teams are, are fighting for their playoff lives, let's be honest. Like sure. when you're talking about Detroit and, and Buffalo, I think they're still long shots. I mean, they're just in hard, like the Eastern Conference. I think, you know, if there's one, you know, takeaway for me, I mentioned this to Dave uh, yesterday. I forget if I mentioned it on air just as we were watching the third period. But to me, the Eastern Conference is much better than the West. Like you've got some really good teams in the West, right? Vegas, Colorado, the Jets, Dallas. Um, But to me, I I look at the Eastern Conference and it's possible Tampa Bay is your eighth seed. Like it, it really is. I mean, it's possible they finish second or third in that division. In the Atlantic, but it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that a team like Tampa Bay or Toronto finishes in a wild card spot. Well, to your, you know, to, I agree wholeheartedly that the East is better than the West. And you look at the West right now. You look at the standings. We talk about banking points and banking points and all that. There's a sizable gap now between you know the, the Dallas, Dallas and Winnipeg, and then you know you know Minnesota's close enough that they're still in that conversation because they have a couple games in hand but then Nashville is you know 9 points behind the Jets Colorado is 10 points behind the Jets i mean there's they're they're putting a pretty decent gap in between yep. the top two top three central and then those other teams in the central or the teams that'll be you know fighting for the wild card so you know, it, it, yes, it's been a bit of a cliche, Dave, about banking points and everything else. But the gap mm-hmm. is growing; it's not getting any smaller. Col- the the push that we're expecting from Colorado, and I, and I still expect it to be honest, hasn't come yet. You know, they were up two nothing against Vancouver on uh, Thursday night, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was Thursday night, mm-hmm. and they lost four two to Vancouver. I mean, when you're up two nothing on Vancouver, you usually expect to win that game six nothing. You don't expect mm-hmm. to then give up four goals and lose. So. You know that push from Colorado hasn't happened yet. Nashville seems like a very much a a mushy middle sort of team. I mean, what they get from UC Soros the other night, sixty-seven saves or something ridiculous. 60, like that. Sixty-four saves, I think. Sixty-four saves to beat the Hurricanes. I mean, they don't seem like they're you know a world-beating team. So as the Jets continue to roll, you know, winners now of four in a row. Uh, you know, as this continues, the gap is only going to grow larger, which is going to make their their lives a lot easier later on, uh, including, you know, the trade deadline, which is rapidly approaching and something that's going to be a hot topic of conversation from now through the end, uh, 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 you know, through the next couple months, Dave. I think what it ultimately comes down to, and, and again, we've talked about it a lot, is is the importance of getting those points early and banking them. And we're seeing that, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're so far ahead of where you were last year. Drew, you've never looked so good as you completely froze. Okay, now you're back. But anyways, the 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 Jets, being able to, you know, get that, that those wins, even if you don't necessarily deserve it. And we've said it. You don't apologize for having one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. That's just the reality of your drafting. That's the reality of your developing. And so when you have that, then that's part of, of your team's reality. And so therefore you can rely on a guy like Connor Hellebuck to make, you know, to keep you in games that maybe you don't deserve to be in in the first period and then allow you to to, to get back into it and, and win. So ultimately I think the Jets are have put themselves into a very good position. And you're right. Like I was talking about it with Dez last night on the show. I was shocked to see like how far ahead the Jets have become. And really you're seeing that separation of Dallas and Winnipeg and Minnesota from St. Louis and Nashville and Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying one of those three teams can't go on a run, but what you've done if you're a Jets team is you've created such a gap that it seems fairly hard in today's NHL that that's going to likely decrease in any significant way. Maybe one of them, but with all of them, I, it's unlikely. So 
from a Jets team's perspective, you're, you're happy where you are. You know, you're, you're sitting here approaching the midpoint of the season. You're getting all these guys back, which is kind of like as it's kind of like making trades, right? Like you're getting Nikolai yeah. Ehlers back. Well, how fresh is he? Because he hasn't played with the team in, in three months. And so you've got Blake Wheeler, Cole Perfetti. You've literally just added a top six line. And now you've got, I mean, so how, what kind of trade are you going to make? I mean, obviously you want, if you're a Jets club, you may want to augment your, your, your depth and add some pieces to the third line, fourth line to get a little more consistency and maybe some more scoring. But you've got to be very happy with where you are right now on January 7th. Yeah, it's kind of hard to know where the, as we stand right now, and I agree with Drew, I mean, the the trade deadline discussion, especially on TSN, is only going to heat up in, in the next coming weeks. Like, once you get into February, it's like the countdown is on until the trade deadline. Um, but it's hard mm-hmm. to know, like, could the, I know you guys talked about it last week, you and Jim, Dave, uh, but when you consider, like, you know, that the Jets are now full health, right? Like, it, it does kind of change it a little bit, as opposed to two or three weeks ago, when you weren't sure, like, was Ehlers going to be, you know, another week or, or whatever, right? So I, I would agree with you. I think, you know, you're probably, you know, looking at a defenseman and you're probably looking at, you know, adding some depth at, at forward. But, you know, are the Jets going to dangle a first round pick? Like, is there something out there? Like, you know, there's there's names out there, right? Like Bo Horvat is out there. Uh, Patrick Kane is out there. Even a, a Brock Besser. Jacob Chikrin. Like, I just don't know if any of those names are like the, the fit has to be right. And what are you giving up? Right. Like is a first round pick, is it going to have to be a prospect? Right. Cause you're talking about guys that, you know, depending on who you're talking about, I guess, you know, there's, there's only uh, a certain amount of you know years left on the contract. Right. So it's kind of hard to know, you know, would the jets go big game hunting like they did in 2018 with Paul Stastny or the year after with, with Kevin Hayes giving up a first round pick. I think the argument can be made guys that th- this is the year that the jets should be dangling that first round pick. I think it definitely there's an argument to be made for that effect. And we'll talk about that and much more with Jason Bell, the sports editor of the Winnipeg Free Press, right after these commercial messages. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg with you on a Saturday morning. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, live on YouTube and all of our social media platforms. Bottom of the hour, welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg with you on this Saturday morning. And we're thrilled to welcome to the program our very good friend, Marty Bird, along with his handler, Jason Bell, I the sports editor of the Winnipeg Free Press. Brutal. Morning, fellas. I said yeah. I knew he'd get first billing. <laughs> well, of course he's going to get first billing. You know, normally, you know, this show, as we often say, goes goes for the birds. But now we actually have a bird, you know, to to you know keep the show together, and then we appreciate Marty coming, and Jason, we appreciate you coming as well. Is he going to be the most famous Marty on the show today? Uh, I don't think I don't well, think that's in doubt. There's no doubt Marty Bird is more famous than Marty Biron. Like Marty might have had like you know a storied NHL career, and he might have over a hundred thousand Twitter followers. But I mean, Ozark was like one of the best series of all time, Jay. That is very true, and uh, when we adopted him, that's the name that he had, and we thought it was very fitting, obviously. So we kept it, and he's been lots of fun. And if he, you know, if he does something that might be a little bit uh, offensive on my shoulder while the show is going on, I apologize in advance. That's okay, Dave. Dave Ezzy and I do offensive things all the time, and we're still here. Uh, we, we haven't been canceled from our own show yet, so uh, fingers crossed that uh, Marty will get through it as well. Well, I saw one of you in the last 24 hours. It's good to see you again, David, and great to see both uh, the two guys in one corner and the other corner. 
<laughs> Thank you. You're too kind. Uh, Jason, let's talk about the Winnipeg Jets because, you know, they just keep on rolling. You know, they had the brief blip uh, right before the break uh, where it seemed like the schedule and the injuries had caught up to them. Uh, and, you know, they'd lost the, the three in a row. And then since then, they've won four in a row. And last night was a was a heavyweight battle against a, you know, a championship caliber team in the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the Jets didn't blink in the face of that. Uh, you know, special teams were a big part of it. But nonetheless, a 4-2 victory. Just from your perspective, you know, is the sky the limit for this team? I know it's a little hyperbole and it's a little bit, uh, you know, maybe excitable, but the way you've seen them play this year, the way their record is right now, the fact they're getting healthy, why shouldn't people be getting really excited about this team? I thought the sky was falling a little bit, uh, Drew, a few weeks ago, obviously, when you felt they just, they, they'd sort of tread water as, as, as long and as, you know, as they could. And when they lost three in a row and, and, uh, and yet uh, they turned it around and they won, and they, they won three straight coming back to yesterday when they finally got all their players back. And these are a couple, you know, fairly world-class players that came back to them. And, I think we'd all agree that we certainly didn't see the best of the four last night, but uh, um, you know, a nice introduction to things. And yet they have the rest of the cast around them uh, continue to do what they've been doing again, since, since all this, uh, this, uh, the injuries began and they were, uh, you know, they were great from start to finish, very defensively sound, uh, you know, at times sat back a little bit, but took it to te- uh, some of the teams. And then last night, just, uh, you know, it, it, it began slowly, but it, it just started to build. And, and then with the backstopping of, of Connor Hellebuck, just just another great effort. That was a really, I think that's the kind of two points that most NHL coaches would love to see, especially as you could suggest an NHL caliber team. And you wonder if there's anybody right now in Tampa Bay having a show like this, calling the Winnipeg Jets a, a championship caliber team because I think uh, I think you have to consider them right in the mix in that Western Conference and that's got to be very exciting for for fans of this club that have that were probably after last season and not seeing very many changes to this uh, lineup we're wondering is it going to be sort of more of the same but it, it's really been anything but with uh, with the Winnipeg Jets this year. You know, Jay, we've got about seven weeks to go before the NHL trade deadline. So I might be jumping the gun here. It might be a little bit early, but I don't think it's ever early on a Saturday morning, you know, to talk about, you know, possible moves from the Jets. And I think you'd agree that, you know, there was, uh, you know, quite a few Jets fans a couple of weeks ago, maybe more so three weeks ago, that, you know, thought maybe the Jets should should make a few moves with all the injuries. But really all Chevy did was, you know, in terms of player movement was, you know, acquire Carson Kuhlman off the waiver wire to go with, you know, Axel Janssen Fialbi earlier in the season. But I mean, I was mentioning this right before you jumped on, like, it's kind of tough to know, you know, what the Jets might, what type of player the Jets might bring in, considering that they're getting so close back to health. And as you talked about, right, you have three top six forwards in in Perfetti, um, Wheeler and Ehlers now back in the lineup. So do you see the Jets, you know, I guess two-part question, do you see the Jets dangling a first-round pick similar to what they did in, in 2018 and 19? And do you see that first-round pick bringing a defense? Like, is it more likely that the Jets would go after, you know, a big game forward or, or a big game defenseman, especially if a first-round pick is going the other way? I think uh, one of each would probably really do the trick. And and and, and if you're Kevin Cheveldayoff, and, and I have to admit, first of all, that I, I think all four of us would suggest we haven't always been necessarily the supportive of what the general manager in, in in the city has done but probably every city there's 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 uh, people like us who have questioned some moves and and lauded others so um but i have to think that the way that the western conference shapes up 
and with the uncertainty of a Colorado and all their injuries and, and can, can some of the, you know, can, can Dallas really keep up with what they're doing and, and, and the Winnipeg Jets being right in the mix. I mean, at what point fellas, do you not say this is the year to really go for it? And, and I don't know if necessarily this roster as it stands uh, can, can make it all the way. Um, I think could, you know, could they surprise us all and, and, and do a, you know, a 2018 and we go for a run certainly, but, why would you not when when and I'm not suggesting right now that they're going to get Jonathan Taves or they're going to get Patrick Kane or they're going to get Bo Horvat or I'm just saying wouldn't it be something if they did and 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 you know when you look at what um, you know the future holds for this club certainly you watch the World Junior Hockey Championships and you had to have been very very impressed with Chas Lucius and uh, and Russian already and then also you know Brad Lambert is there Billy Hanel is is kind of languishing now and I don't the six that played last night on the back end that's the six that I would certainly start um Logan Stanley is still kicking around and maybe have some value and you say you talk about the first round draft race and the Jets will not be drafting they'll not be in a, a situation where they're going to be getting they're, they're going to be in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes unless they really I don't think you can mathematically tank that much at this point <laughs> Uh, you know, you have to say, when is the time now? And, and I have to say that it, it, the time is now to at least at least make a run. And then I think that would ind- include trying to get another, uh, like, you know, top end forward and another top end blue liner. And I'm not saying necessarily, does that mean that, you know, Dylan Sandberg then maybe takes a backseat? He's still a young man. Why not? But let's, I think... I think the fans and would love to see him make a move. And I don't think Kevin shoveled in Dan Pat this year. I, I don't, I just think that they're in a situation where they need to upgrade uh, if they want to really make a push. Saturday morning, you're watching the illegal curve hockey show. We're live on YouTube. We're live on all of our social media platforms. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg are joined by Jason Bell, sports editor of the Winnipeg free press and his partner in crime, Marty bird. Well, Jay, my first question to you, because it's the most important one, because the one that's being asked in the chat, and I think I know the answer, but I wanted—I don't want to speak for you. I believe Marty is a lovebird, but the folks in the chat are curious. What kind of bird is Marty? He's a conure, and my wife is the smart one of the two, as it, probably the same same situation in your household, and he has a, a green-cheeked conure. Ah, and my apologies. He's looking, he's kind of right going. Ooh. There we go. Kind of okay. The, the old uh, SCTV in and out of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> if any of you are old enough to understand. So, Jay, obviously, his favorite, Marty's favorite player is Kyle Conyers. <laughs> oh, God. You haven't heard that one. <laughs> All right. End the show, well Drew. Very, very well done, as I have to give you props on that one. Well, I've had that one in my back pocket for at least a couple of days. <laughs> for, for two years now. <laughs> Uh, Jay, how are you feeling, by the way? Yes, we're we 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 were. Uh, uh, yeah, a good you know, yeah, no, yeah, a little just, little bit sore. Hold on, I've got my I've got my frozen corn here. That's what I, that's oh yeah, that's what I've been using during the during the commercial breaks. But no, well, Doctor Jay Buenafade took. He was very gentle. He took really good care of me. You know, we can in another show. Maybe if there's a if there's a late night version of the show, we can talk about my experience of it. And uh, it's uh, it wasn't pretty, but it's uh, I'm all re- I mean, that was a long, long time ago. I still remember what it was like, though. Jay, we're, we're just surprised. I, I, 
we're, as, Jay, we're <laughs> just surprised that Ezzy had anything left in the holster after his experience, but he, oh, he did so have that. Did I definitely feel a little bit lighter. children up right now. <laughs> 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 I, look, Jay, I've got to deal with the sure, fact that those that, that, that frozen corn or peas are in my house right now, and they've been on Ezzy for the last 24 hours. So I'm, I'm trying to have as the best an attitude as I can. But let's keep us about hockey. What let's about focus. that game last night? What about that game against Tampa was, last night? I was just going to say, let's focus on the hockey, because <laughs> one of the guys in that game, he had a significant uh, impact on the game. That's Josh Morrissey. Three assists in the game. I mean, he's he's just taking his game to that next level. I mean, he's, he's on a 100-point pace for his you know, career for this season right now, the things he's doing are remarkable. And yet it's interesting because, and I was talking about this with Ezzy after the show, you do wonder if I'm not going to call it like Winnipeg bias or anything like that, but I was reading, I think ESPN did the kind of like a mid season or approaching mid season uh, Norris trophy um, uh, expectations. Josh Morrissey was barely there. I mean, it was, it was Kale McCarr. It was uh, Eric Carlson. Um, Eric Carlson. It was Adam Fox. It was Adam Fox. Of course. Yeah. And, and yet you're sitting there going, are people not watching what this kid is doing? Cause it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the second best in terms of point production. Yes. He's done so many things for this team and he's, he is the heart and soul of this Jets club. And, you know, obviously the all-star nod is, is a nice recognition for him and the way they did it. And I thought it was interesting because I don't think we've ever seen the Jets video room and we saw Rick bonus do, presenting it there in that, in that video room That's yesterday. Cool. So I, I don't know, like to me, what he's doing is remarkable. We're seeing it obviously on a nightly basis. And yet it's almost like, sure. He got the all-star nod because the NHL is kind of paying attention, but is the rest of the league. Cause remember that's a, a, an award that's voted on by the writers. And if they're not paying attention, if that's the consensus right now is he's not even making that top kind of five list. Like he got like, I think one first place vote. And again, I'm not saying that ESPN is the be all and end all, but there's a significant number of writers in the U S if they're not paying attention, I mean, really, and again, I understand it's not about individual awards. And if you ask Josh Morrissey if he's going to win, he wouldn't care less. But it just seems interesting to me that there's that there just doesn't seem to be a lot of buzz given what this kid is doing. Yeah, and and I, and I think that's where they uh, you, you'll see as the season goes on. You know, uh, as long as Josh stays healthy and continues to produce and continues to play as soundly defensively as he has, because I think we, it, you know, I think last night people are always every time there's a goal scored. The, it, you know, I, at least people are in my circles are saying, geez, did Josh, you know, get a touch on that one? I mean, they're, they're, mm. they're actually a lot more excited about him getting his second, the second assist than, than the goal <laughs> score. If it's not, if it's not Josh Morrissey, um, because they certainly wanted to rack up points because they're trying to compare him to Eric Carlson, who's going, but Eric, I mean, I haven't watched a lot of San Jose this year, but I think that what, from what I have seen, Eric Carlson on that team doesn't really play like a prototypical defenseman. He's almost like a, he's like, he's like a fourth forward. Rover. And, and, Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And, and, and a, I mean, and it's, you know, for a guy who thinks Eric Carlson is a brilliant hockey player. I mean, the last few years have been tough to watch a, a guy who you thought his skills and his abilities were really dwindling and uh, it's just around him. It's, the team is so terrible, but uh, you know, he's you know he's great for Eric Carlson, but I mean, you just cannot uh, uh, say enough about what Josh Morrissey has done here. And, you know, I think the last couple of years people would say, you know, Hey, he's a, he's a good player, but you know, he's not a number one defenseman. This team needs a number one defenseman. And uh, I think those 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 the doubters would have to maybe eat their words a little bit because he's playing like an, a number one defenseman. I mean, he's playing in all situations. He plays against all 
all the other team's best. He's, he's, you know, he's quarterback in the power play on five on five. He's been brilliant. And his plus minus, I think he's, what is he? Minus th- or plus 13 or something this morning, 14, something like that. So, uh, and, and, you know, for, for, for us that, and I, of course, I, you guys know that I'm not in the dressing room anymore. And, and, but I have talked to Josh a lot and I had a, the privilege of seeing him in a golf tournament this summer. And we had, you know, I had a really nice chat and he's, I mean, if you, if you hope for good people, uh, there's just no one finer than than this kid, and I say kid because you know three times this they're age all kids compared to us. Exactly. So like how how old are we now that we're calling 27 year old Josh Morrissey a kid? Well, we're in our late fifties, as it turns out. In yeah, my case, yeah, true case, uh, early eighties. <laughs> I just I think I think it's been fun to watch for people who've been around him since the since the day he was picked in the first round, um, and. Uh, yeah, I think he just. I think it's folly to suggest that he's not a number one defenseman in every sex, every every sense of the word. And and now it's up to the Winnipeg Jets uh, marketing and PR people to be sending out those tapes and and making sure that whatever they do, whatever tricks of the trade they have, that the, the hockey world uh, gets to know about Josh Morrissey. Because as you suggest, he doesn't have the cachet of an Adam Fox or a Kale McCarr or an Eric Carlson, uh, Victor Hedman, who we you know. I'm sure fans were glad Victor Hedman wasn't there last night. I think he's awaiting the arrival of a child. His wife is pregnant. But um, Victor yeah. Hedman, I mean, they're going to automatically think it's his award because he kind of dominates in that situation. But again, uh, if you're if you're a hockey aficionado and you watch the highlights at night or, or privy to some of the, the way the Jets are winning hockey games, uh, Josh Morrissey is, is every every bit of worthy uh, Norris candidate. And you look at last night's roster, and David Gustafson was uh, a healthy scratch last night. From it seems like Kevin Stenland has maybe overtaken him in the in the pecking order or in the depth chart. You know, when it comes to the the, the depth forwards for the Jets, especially up the middle, is it that Gustafson you know is do isn't performing to up to snuff, or is it that Stenland has sort of uh, expectations? You know, from your perspective. Well, I, yeah, I mean, there was a time, I guess, about a week ago where we were talking about this in our little chat room and the great hockey minds of the city, big names like Scott Billick and Mike McIntyre and some of the real experts around our, our town. And, and we had we had a little bit of a we have a chat room that goes back about three years. And of course, if it ever became public, we'd probably be in prison or something. But he uh, we we talked about we talked about that very question. And, and Kevin Stenland just looks like he looks like a pro. And of course he came with, 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 with pro games under his belt. He's not the fastest man out there. And of course, from the purchase of where we were, David, you know, it, it, when you see 26 and 28, you think they're, you know, they're separated at birth because they look exactly the same, but, yeah. but Kevin Stenland is just, and Rick Bonus really trusts this guy. He's, 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 he's kind of a very smart hockey player. Again, he's not dripping with talent, but his work ethic is great. Positionally, he's very good. Not bad in the draw, tremendous penalty killer, and and become has become a big part of what continues to be a great PK, and uh, just seems I mean not NHL ready because he's twenty five or twenty six years old, but he's certainly he's just a he's a much more prepared pro than David Gustafson, and Gustafson is still only I can look up to Manuk because he'll know is he twenty two years old right now. Is he something? So, I mean, they're not turning their back on David Gustafson, but on the here and now, Kevin Stanlin is just is just a better fit. And uh, you know, you could you could, I think I think we kind of all figured out how things would have gone when the returnees with the returnees. I mean, Mikey Asamont, the you know, he's kind of gone back to what he is. He's a he's a he's a fairly elite AHL player. 
Uh, Jansen Harkins has been, I think we would all agree, just just a disappointment. And because I think this is, you would have liked to have seen Jansen really step up during the stretch where the injuries occurred. And I don't think he has. And it's never for a lack of trying with Harkins. But again, he's with this roster, the way it's constructed right now, he's he's right where he's supposed to be. Uh, this, and then Carson Coleman and and uh, Axel Fialbi, they just, they kind of, they, they fill they fill roles. I mean, how many times did he have a shot, chance to shoot last night and he just fumbled the puck? It was actually kind of, it was a little bit funny. Then it was just kind of like, it came kind of cringeworthy. But again, the effort was there. Long story short, I think Kevin Stanley is the best of that group. And I just don't see him getting sort of supplanted, like right through. I think they'll carry this guy as long as they can because he's doing a lot of great things for them. Yeah, and even when Saku Manalainen and uh, Mason Appleton come back, Jay, I, I agree. I think that there's a yeah. good chance that Stenland will be, you know, on that fourth line. And then, you know, is it Carson Kuhlman who becomes the 13th forward? You know, is it actually... And to, me, and to me, it is. I think, yes, because I, I I don't think you're going to... I mean, Morgan Barron is just like... Again, That's what I, I was going to ask you about, Jay. Yeah, so no, I thought just, last Just talk about right. Morgan Barron, because t- yesterday, well, I, yeah, I just, know, not just the empty netter, but he was just so good oh, again yeah, on the again, penalty kill. PK and, 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 and the, you know, it was funny that he won that fastest skater competition. Like, who would have thought that, right? And then you see yeah. him hustle, just pure pure hustle play last night. And uh, and again, he doesn't think, he did he doesn't do things really pretty, but he and he and Lowry have this thing going right now with their heart on pucks. They keep the puck down low, like the old days of. He's not an Andrew Cop. I'm not going to suggest that, but there's some chemistry there, and he is just not coming out of the lineup. Uh, I don't think I, you know, if, if it's probably Coleman and and uh, and actually I'll be. I'm, I'm sorry, saying that wrong, um, but uh, yeah, I, I think Appleton will will get back into the lineup. I'm not so sure about uh, what happens down the road, but for the long stretch. But uh, yeah, I just this club has always had a well, problem I mean, with, with, with the bottom six. They've always had a problem with the bottom six, haven't they? Other than I mean, when when Lowry and Cop were going in the tan of year, I, I like the bottom but, six right now. And remember, Gagne is still. He, he does some interesting things when when he can play on that second power play unit and they need a veteran presence with a little bit more goal upside goal scoring at the end of a game so you know he's gonna he's may not he may not see as many starts as he has now once the other two get back but uh he'll look up, he's gonna be factoring well and that's in, the thing well, you can you can rotate well, you know, those guys through right like sorry Drew, I was just gonna say like you know, Sam Gagne can be your 13th forward. Yes. Uh, Axel Janssen Fialbi can be your 13th Axel forward, depending, de- depending on who you're playing, right? Like, what do you need? Do you need somebody to to kill penalties? Do, and, and the thing is, you know, there's a common theme here, right? Kevin Stenland, David Gustafson, Janssen Fialbi, Gagne, like all of these guys are versatile forwards. So I agree with you. I mean, they may not be getting uh, enough. Like when you talk about Gustafson, he's still looking for his first goal. As you mentioned, Janssen Fialbi, he's all hustle and he's all grit. He doesn't. He just doesn't have you know an elite scoring touch at the NHL level. He's just not a guy that's going to score a lot, um, even though he puts himself in position uh, positions to to score. Right. So I I, I look at the. Well, he was in a low slot with the puck all alone, right. and it, he, mm-hmm. he he handled it like like I would have in in rec hockey, <laughs> like no shot away and got twisted around. And as I said, I think we looked over. I looked over at Dave, and we're just like kind of like, oh geez, <laughs> you almost want to see him just snipe one. Not that I really care how he produces, but just for his for his for his effort. And that is a zero puck luck. But anyway, well, I, I mentioned it after the game against uh, maybe it was the Vancouver game that Dave and I were doing post game last week. I said I saw on Twitter, and I can't remember said it on Twitter, but that does Axel Yalby's game change at all if he plays without a stick? Because, you know, the stick is almost secondary to everything that he does, you know, because he, you know, he doesn't have any of that scoring touch around him. He's all hustle and grit and banging yeah. and, and effort, and, and which is important. You need guys like that. 
So it's not to take it away from him, but you're right. When you're in the low slot all alone, you'd like to see a guy you know, maybe be able to deposit one yeah. pass. What the about Nate, what about Nate Schmidt last night? Who again is a little like I thought his effort was terrific, terrific last night. He mixed it up a little bit, and the, again they talk about this team toughness, and you know, just I thought again last night was just a was a was a great indication of that, a, a great. Uh, you know, great pushback. I mean, Shifley does what he does and, you know, he throws the hit and he's willing to drop the gloves. And he actually threw one haymaker that just missed and, and I'm not a proponent <laughs> of fighting, but that was just a weird one to see. And what about like, what about the Stamkos thing with the Ehlers? Like, what was that? Like, I mean, I think we all love Steve Stamkos. I mean, this guy has been utter class for what, 14, 15 years. And then he, he just stands over him and he starts pounding on Ehlers. Um, it was very odd. But uh, I just, you know, there's there's a lot of great things to like about that game. And sometimes they don't win. They're not the most exciting games in the world. But when you appreciate what this team is doing under Rick Bonus, you go, you know, it, I think winning hockey is, is is two points is a lot more important than always entertaining your fans and losing 6-5. No, no question about that. Jason Bell is our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show Saturday morning. We're live on YouTube. We're live um, on all of our social media platforms. You know Jason, of course, as uh, the sports editor of the Winnipeg Free Press. You know, Jay, the, you've touched on a little bit because with all these players, especially with the ones who are re- returning, and it sounds like you know when Rick Mona spoke about it the other day, he said that uh, Logan Stanley and Mason Appleton are still a ways away, mm-hmm. which means they're probably be back next game. But the reality is that they, you know they're still probably you know a few weeks away at least so the only guy who, who's you know imminently you're expecting but not necessarily is Sacramento Linen. but it becomes a, a roster question right because the Jets have an experience now they sent down Jansen Harkins they reassigned Christian Reichel they lost Michael Esamont to the San Jose Sharks yesterday good for him by the way good for him yeah it'll be it'll be a good opportunity to play on a terrible hockey team but it'll still be playing it's in playing. the NHL which is better than of course if you're in the AHL so it's another opportunity for the Colorado product but, you know, to me, the question now becomes, because you do have to be care- concerned about your depth, right? If you put a guy like any of those names, right? Actually, Anson Fielby, Carson Kuhlman, David Gustafson. If you put any of those guys on, on waivers, there's a concern. Now, if you're not going to play Billy Hainola, and you already said, if you're going to roll your six, that's your six. What are you doing with Billy Hainola? Are you going to keep him up in the NHL and maybe play him once every third, fourth game? Or are you going to put him back into Because he, he played well before he sat. He was playing well. So the question becomes, what do you do with him? Are you better off? Because remember, he's waiver exempt, right? He's waiver exempt for two more years, well, this year and next year. So that works against him, but it works in the Jets' favor. Yeah, I think, you know, and, you know, nice infusion of talent for the Moose the last few days. And Billy Hanel certainly wouldn't hurt in their back end. And I just think that, I just think as they go, as they get down to the stretch with, they've already got, not that Neil Pionk and, and Kyle, or, uh, Josh Morrissey are, are midgets by any stretch of the imagination, you know, are, are, are smallish players. But I mean, I think Kyle Kobiabanko is the guy you want as your seventh defenseman. And you want, you want to continue to see Billy Hanel a play. That's how, that's how I would see things. Um, I don't think it does anybody a, a, a great service to have him sitting for the next, uh, what the Jets hope is probably what, four months, February, March, April, May. Um, and, and if you know, if you, these are your six, then, and, and yeah, him sitting in the press box doesn't really serve a great purpose. And I did like what he did the three or four games that he played, Dave. You're absolutely right. Played with a lot more confidence. He wasn't, I don't think he coughed up the puck as much. He didn't look outsized in the corner that much. And how many times have we seen Billy Hanela, you know, not not be able to handle a guy. So he drags him down or he puts an arm around across the guy. And it's a, it's a two-minute, automatic two minutes for the guy. Just because he's, 
And Josh Morrissey has proven that you can, I can go back all the way to Toby Enstrom. It, you can, you can play that position, not being a big man. And I don't think Billy Hanel has had quite learned that yet, but we've seen some strides. But if you're trying to, if you're, if I think the best usage of him is to be in the AHL and, uh, you know, a veteran player, maybe it's a Logan Stanley is your seventh guy down the stretch and you do something else with Kobe Abanco. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any, any, uh, great tragedy that he's not playing with his club right now he may feel that way but to me Jason, to me last sorry, I'm just gonna, you. i was just gonna quickly say sorry drew you're a little bit delayed there even though i'm i'm the one that's really delayed but um <laughs> you know you, okay. you you look at that situation with logan stanley as dave mentioned he's not going to come back for tomorrow afternoon's game but he will eventually come back and you know right now i agree that kyle capa bianco and and that's the thing you want handle a plane you don't want him kind of playing, you know, once every three or four games. So just wanted to get that in there, Jay, that well, who I, know, yeah, I know you needed to know that I agreed with you. So I appreciate that. And, and uh, because I'm so fragile, but who does Logan Stanley, who does Logan Stanley take, like take the place of like nobody right now. And I, again, I'm not trying to trash the guy. I'm just saying that the six that played last night, that is the best six that this organization can put up. And, and, I really, I, it's 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 better for my mental psyche that I don't go on Twitter because the, the people who continue to track, like the, somebody said that that Villy is better than uh, Dylan Sandberg and might even be better than Neil Pionk, and I just want to start breaking stuff because they're not they're not living in reality. And Logan Stanley, again, I don't actually, I don't think anybody would say that about Logan Stanley, but. I just don't think, I, I, again, nothing against the guy. And he, too, has made great strides and has put himself in a position to be with the big club as the extra defenseman. That's where I see him right now. So, Jay, we'll let you go on this last one. Pierre-Luc is almost a unicorn, I think, in the league in the, in the, in the size and the strength and his ability to just get under the skin uh, of every opponent that he plays again but at the same time you know putting up numbers that are indicative of, of top line talent you know just you know you know obviously his contract status is something that's going to resolve uh over the next year or two but his impact on ice for this team night in and night out just seems to be uh more than just that's on the score sheet i would say yeah he's he's uh you know, the, again, everybody, we heard it again last night in the press box of the, the word beast, just because of what he can do, the way that he's got great hands. I mean, I really don't think it's easy tipping a like 100 mile slap shot. I think you got to have some good <laughs> eye hand eye. You got to have some skill there. And the way he just, he's just so brash and, and, and crashes around. And he's just, he just looks so incredibly strong that you just go, I mean, you just, this guy is going to carry this team, you think. And, and obviously, Connor Halbach is, is, is crucially important than Josh Morrissey is, but I just feel like, like, like they Pierre-Luc Dubois is the guy that's really going to lead them. And he certainly doesn't look like a guy who wants out. He's not, he certainly doesn't look like the guy who played his last shift in Columbus. I don't know. That guy just doesn't, isn't, doesn't, isn't around right now, or he's really, he's fooling everybody. So I don't know what's going to happen with him. And, and, you know, again, somebody was suggesting uh, the other day that uh, I think, was it a, was it a blog or something that, that the Jets have to just throw as much money as they can at this guy? Well, the Jets are going to be, throw money at this guy. There's no question they're going to. They've been a cap, a team near the, at the cal, the cap ceiling for a couple of years now. They're not afraid to spend money. That's contrary to, the, to what people think. They're not afraid to spend money. Look at their, look at their salary cap right now where they're at. It's about where he wants to play because you can get the same money everywhere. So I can't say they should just, but it would be for this franchise, it would be 
a shame if he wasn't around for the long term, long haul, because he's just a, such a crucial piece. Last night he was, you know, it's hard to say one of his better games because there, has he ever, has he taken a night off this year? I haven't seen it yet. And uh, yeah, just a, just a great player to watch. Great player to watch. If you like that, if you like the guy that he's, he's, he can be a perimeter player, but man, his work around the net is, uh, yeah, it's just really, it's just really fun to watch. So just the net front battle sort of, sure. well, the way he battled, you know, gets into just cross-checking wars with defensemen and everything else. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you sometimes wonder if maybe he crosses the line and he takes a minor that you really don't want to see at an inopportune time. So it's a bit of a trade off. But I think that uh, I think the Jets will take that trade off most nights. And I'm not I'm trying to, con- you know, he, he's not I'm trying to con- trying to figure out which which player he reminds me of in the last 10 or 20 years. And I think I think, it, you know, the Cam Neely comparison is probably a little bit that's you're talking about a guy that's a Hall of Fame type player. And maybe that's that's stretching it a bit but just you know the, the again the combination of size strength and then this great skill and and he he says all the right things and he's doing all the right things and yeah just just a tremendous player for the Winnipeg Jets I got one one comparable I, I I'm always he's one of my favorite players of all time he's going to be a hall of famer but one guy I think I would throw out there as a comparison is, is Ryan Getzlaff yeah That's a guy, and again like I don't know if he's ever going to you know, reach the 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 heights of, of Getzlap because, as I mentioned, to me, he's a surefire Hall of Famer with the Stanley Cups, what he's done, you know, at the international level with, sure. with Canada and everything like that. But, you know, just the size and skill and everything like that, right? Like Getzlap is one guy that, that always comes to mind, just and more so stylistically, Jay, the way he plays. Yeah, you almost, you're, that's bang on. And you almost feel like, you know, he's got an invisible letter on his chest right now because it, just in every sense of the word, he's just, he's the leader. He's a leader on this team. Jason Bell is the sport. Yeah, exactly. Jason Bell is the sports editor of the Winnipeg Free Press. He and his sidekick Marty Bird join us this morning on the illegal curve. Is there any chance we'd get a season five of Ozark? I think didn't everybody die at the end? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, everybody (laughs) died. Yeah. I don't think they actually did die. I can't remember. (laughs) We're too we're into we're into all the yellow stuff. We moved on. Oh, nice. The sun didn't the the sun shoot somebody. Yeah, he did. That's exactly right. He did. Yeah, that was the private investigator. Yeah. No, no, no. But he, the private the investigator. Private right. investigator that I mean, he opened the hotel door. I'm not, we're not ruining it. Thanks, everybody. guys. I was. Thanks, guys. Big I'm spoiler, in season. Big spoiler. I, I was. I, I'm actually in season two right now. But thank you for <laughs> That's ruining. What my it. wife just oh, said. <laughs> I heard. I heard. We're making it all up, David. Everybody got out. They're all. They're all thriving. Yeah, Marty Bird survived. He's good. Okay. The bird I'm talking it, about. It's. It's. It's saying with a. It ended with a really weird song and dance routine, Dave. You're fine. You don't. You didn't miss anything. Yeah, you'll you'll keep going at it. It's it's all good. Don't Jason, stop thank you. Don't stop believing at the end. That's okay. Right. <laughs> a little bit of journey, just like just like the Sopranos ended. I was like, I was like, are we doing Sopranos in. now, or are yeah. we doing uh, fade to black? <laughs> One last thing. Did you watch second season of White Lotus? Uh, yes. No, I haven't watched any of it, but it's. Uh, I think it's because I just stayed at an all-inclusive resort in Mexico that I want to watch it. But wow. um, everybody's talking about White Lotus, so I got to check it out. And you got home okay, so that's the main thing. Yeah. Take care, guys. Yeah, we we, Thanks, we paid Jay. to sabotage his flight, and he still made it. We're <laughs> we're surprised about it. Yeah. Jay, well, thank you, buddy. Back. Happy New Year, Jay. Thanks for joining Thanks. us. Take care. Have a great weekend. Jason Bell uh, from the sports Winnipeg Free Press. Let's head to break. When we come back, more of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, more Jets talk. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsburg with you. Hour number two up next. Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years. 
Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Jon Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party. Even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Hi, Ez. A strange question for you. But why are you lying on the ground being crushed by a piano? Well, Drew, I definitely tried to carry this baby grand piano down the stairs by myself. And somehow I failed miserably. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That was a silly question on my part. My apologies. Would you like me to call Rolly's Transfer Moving and Storage to help you move the piano? They are the most experienced piano moving company in Winnipeg, after all. Yes, please call Rollies and hurry. This piano is very, very heavy. Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage offers stress-free residential moving services while taking great care of your personal belongings, including your piano. At Rollies, no job is too big or too small. For more information, visit Rollies.com. Hi, it's Drew from Illegal Curve here. Selling your home can be stressful, but it wasn't for me. Thanks to my friends at Zapia Group Realty, they made the process so easy. My home sold within 48 hours and with multiple offers. Zapia Group Realty took care of everything with their exquisite customer service and attention to detail. If you want to sell your home for more in less time, get started by talking to Frank and Mauro Zapia of Zapia Group Realty. Online at zapiagroup.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center, and they whiten my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go, We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs, from restorative to cosmetic dentistry, and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. So you're a pizza person, you married a wing person, but somehow your kids are salad people. You can't pick your fam, but you can pick your BP meal deal. Starting from $18.99 for takeout or delivery at bostonpizza.com. Saturday morning, welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsburg. What are you eating there? As in, it better not be those peas or corn niblets or whatever's been uh, <laughs> icing you down as of late. Dear God, I hope not. No, it's absolutely the my here. By the way, I, I still have it here for my region. That's good. That bag, the that bag of frozen corn, is not going in the garbage. It's going in the Brady landfill. Well, all, everything. I'm just going to the granola bar. Okay, but here, you realize that you're you, you just for the record, you realize that your garbage does end up in the Brady landfill, right? No, but I mean, I'm taking it like directly to the Brady Lounge. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, you yeah. haven't. Do you have what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that bag needs to be incinerated. Like nobody, yeah. oh yeah, nobody needs to be anywhere near that bag of of corn. It's been somewhere where nobody should should ever go. Yeah, it's very true. The ghost that would come out that that corn lived a good life and was one day away from retirement, oh, yeah. and this is yeah. how it has to end. It's really, it's really upsetting for everybody involved in it. But uh, nonetheless, yes, it's good to see that you are. Uh, you like corn uh, niblets? You recovery? No, I don't want any corn niblets right now. Thank you. They said you like corn niblets. Actually, Do I really like corn canned corn as like a side. Like you know, you have some chicken, some salad, little corn niblets on the side. Well, all you have to do, Izzy, like if you like, Izzy, if you like corn, all you have to do is go to our, our, our see our friends in Morden because they have fantastic corn, Morden. 
Corn and Apple yeah. Festival at the end of summer, end of August every year. That's a, that's a joy to go to. So, and Drew uh, likes to listen to corn with a K. Yes. yes, I'm a huge corn fan. You know me. Yeah. I just I, I'm Adidas. clearly a corn fan. I'm, I I used to like corn the vegetable until about uh, I don't know, let's say uh, uh, you know th- 24, <laughs> 36 hours ago, until you went into your little experiment uh, there. Then now that now it's off now it's off limits in Drew's, this house. Drew's never going to eat Green Giant ever again. Bruce oh, is saying God, that no. as he can put that corn back in the freezer. It ain't going to be my freezer, Bruce, because then it'll contaminate all the food in my freezer. <laughs> Not that I ever eat it, but still, yeah, I like to know that it's there. Yeah. No, that shouldn't be about shouldn't have been allowed in your house it's like when it's like the episode of seinfeld where kramer doesn't wear underwear and the only thing separating uh kramer a from thin the layer rest of, the of gabardine a, a thin layer of gabardine exactly right there you go dave um you got it exactly right let's talk about the the bottom six of the jets because i think that's like the top six is clearly defined and, and adam lowry and morgan Barron uh are are, are, are turned into a, a great tandem sort of on that third line you know, and we were touching on it a bit with Jason there, you know, the bottom of the lineup is still sort of churning and it's in flux Mm -hmm. a little bit, but I honestly think that's a good thing for this team because Rick bonus can use it as a carrot. You know, you play hard, you're going to be in the lineup. Yeah. If you have an off night, maybe you not necessarily an off night, uh, you know, and and it's a bad result, but an off night, or you're looking like you're a little bit, you know, heavy in the legs and you maybe need need an break well we have somebody else who can really sort of seamlessly step in and and, and fill that role without it really being a significant drop-off as things stand right now you know and and obviously uh roster reinforcements or trades that could maybe improve a third line or make it even a, a, a even better third line might change things but right now the flexibility that the jets have when it comes to sort of the the bottom of their lineup i think is an enviable uh, an enviable feature right now of this team. Yeah, I don't think it's a problem that you're kind of rotating players, you know, between the third and fourth lines or rotating them in and out of the lineup, right? Like with a guy like Axel Janssen Fialbi, or right now, you know, David Gustafson found himself a healthy scratch. And I mentioned this on the post game show last night. I wouldn't be at all surprised, boys, if if Gus Bus goes into the lineup. I don't know if it would be for Janssen Fialbi, but. You know, I, I think Jonson Fialbi would be a, a candidate. And yeah, once you get Mason Appleton and Saku Manalainen back, I mean, the, the easy choices probably to, to come out of the lineup would be Axel Jonson Fialbi and, and Carson Kuhlman, right? Possibly Kevin Stenland as well. But clearly the, the Jets coaches like the fact that he can play center or wing and he can kill penalties, right? So it's it's clearly the, the players that end up staying in the lineup are going to be, you know, those players. And Manalainen and Appleton can both kill penalties. So Again, going back to our conversation with Jay Bell, great great talk with Jay and, and Marty Bird. I mean, th- this is a much better, you know, bottom six overall. And don't get me wrong, there I have concerns, guys. Like Adam Lowry, you know, he's struggling. What is it, 11 games now? You know, he hasn't scored a goal, but he's still having a, a good first half of the season with, you know, 21 points, right? So there are some concerns that, you know, you're not getting a lot of goals from, we talked about Gus Bus. we talked about, you know, he's still looking for his first goal, Jonson Fialbi. You know, he only has, uh, what does he have, one or two goals, right? So I think there are some concerns, Drew, longer term, right? Like looking more into, you know, the final month or two into the season when they're making their their playoff push. That's when I get a little bit more concerned that, you know, you're not getting enough scoring. I think that you're, you're, the impact of the third and fourth lines are being felt uh, in terms of, you know, h- how they play. And, and we've talked about, you know, the cycle game. They're able to create offensive off that, but also, you know, how they're contributing to the penalty kill. So even though they're not scoring a ton of goals, you, you've made up for that in other ways, right? Sp- especially getting more goals from your back end. 
I mean, that's been a huge thing this year led by Josh Morrissey, right? So I think, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I do believe that, you know, if I'm looking at it, like what is the biggest, you know, what, what do the Jets need the most, you know, prior uh, to the deadline and what would they need? It's, it's clearly, you know, bringing in a top six forward and, you know, maybe that moves Blake Wheeler down the lineup, you know, maybe it's bringing in a more impactful player on the third line. But when you look at, you know, all due respect to guys like Carson Kuhlman and, and Axel Janssen Fialbi, these guys just aren't going to provide a, a ton of offense. So if you look at the last few years of teams that have won the Stanley Cup, I mean, you, you got to have a little bit more offense of uh, a bit more of an offensive punch on the third line. So right now, I don't think it's an issue. Um, you know, when Mammalainen and Appleton come back, I don't think there's going to be any drop off at all. Um, but I think it, it remains to be seen who's going to come out of the lineup because right now, I think, you know, Stenland has really found him, found a really nice role on this team. Well, you know, running man has a, which you highlighted the comment there, Dave, he's got a, a, an interesting point there about great special teams uh, covering up any, any warts. But the difference is come playoff time, we know that the game is called differently. We know that the game officiated differently. We know it's a lot harder to get power play opportunities. And now whether or not that's, uh, you know, a good thing or a bad thing, it's just the way it is the nhl calls it differently they would pretend that they wouldn't but we all know that they're full of uh, uh full of uh poop uh when, when they when they try and make that claim so you poop do need to be able to score yeah you do need to be able to score at five on five more so come playoff time which is why i think to your point as you know uh it's you know one of the things the Jets might be looking for is another top six guy or another guy who's sort of right between that second and third line player similar to what Blake Wheeler is at this point where you can sort of be able to generate a little bit more and maybe you turn that third line the, the you know which is right now Barron and Lowry that are driving it but you give them more, some a little bit of offensive upside to that line as well because you remember back in 1718 wasn't brian little basically the fourth line center uh, or you know playing a you know a depth role for the third, third line and then lowry was the fourth line center right but he was playing you know so they were really they were really deep with their forward group and i don't think they're at that level so that might be why you're looking for a sort of a uh, a bigger name or a more offensively inclined player uh to to shore up some of your roster uh, especially up front dave well, I think I think you hit it on the head. You're looking not for a guy who's going to be, you know, nobody's supplanting Connor Dubois and Ehlers, right? So you no. you really just want to augment what you have, and and I think adding depth is what the Jets organization is going to look to do. And you you are looking in that sort of kind of hybrid between a second line and third line, you know, forward who, you know, most likely is right now. You would think you're you're right, Drew Baron Lowry, third guy who's going to provide offense and who's going to be mm -hmm. that sort of if he needs to jump up he can jump up into that second line spot and or first line spot whatever it is and and do that because the reality of, of the nhl is injuries are going to happen it's not like the jets got healthy and like okay well we got all our injuries out of the way now we're healthy for the rest of the way you know there, there's nothing that says that obviously and so that's something you have to 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 guard against and you have enough guys that you can intermingle as as he said on on the third and fourth lines that you're allowing you to still maintain a very good penalty kill, whether it's actually Johnson Fielby, whether it's Kevin Stenland, whether it's David Gustafson, but those guys aren't going to provide you with the offense necessarily that you need or Carson Kuhlman. I mean, sorry guys, Carson Kuhlman's not a top six forward. He just has had too many opportunities and he just doesn't bury them. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you need someone who's going to finish off on those opportunities. And right now the jets aren't getting that. So you're getting guys who are in position to have success and yet they're not, 
they're not doing what they need to do. And they're not, I mean, how many times has Rick Bonus said in his media availabilities, you know, whether it's with respect to the defense or the offense, seize the opportunity, seize the opportunity that is ahead of you. And and you talked about, or Jay talked about Jansen Harkins, and you, you see all of these guys, and you see all of these guys who have these opportunities to, I mean, it wasn't as if Ehlers and Wheeler and Perfetti weren't out for significant periods of time. So someone could have come along and taken that opportunity and mm-hmm. run with it, not saying that they would have kept it when those guys were ready to return, but the reality was you would have shown that the organization had the depth and they didn't need to make a move. I think they'll make a move. They'll augment it with a player, kind of like as said, like they'll do a Stasny type. They're not going to do a blockbuster, I don't think. I, I, I think still think I'll, I'll I'll repeat. I said this uh, I don't know a month ago. I, I like Sean Monahan a lot on on Montreal. He's been playing on the wing, but he can play center. He's a guy who's in the last year of his contract. The Habs, um, they they were well, they was a first rounder. Um, they they basically got him for free from Calgary. Yeah, um, but they took a, they, first they, rounder. They helped Calgary salary cap wise. Right. So Sean Monahan is a guy that like look at the big names are, are Ryan O'Reilly and, and Bo Horvat and Patrick Kane, Jacob Chikrin on the back end. Right. Uh, you're starting to hear Matthias Ekholm's name if the Predators, especially, fall out of the playoff race. But a guy like a, a Monahan, another guy that's, that's that was on the Athletics trade target board was um, like a guy like Nick Ritchie or or Max Domi. Like these are guys that give you more offense on your third line, right? So Ritchie's a guy that he was a healthy scratch earlier in the season, but he's also a guy that that has I think nine or ten power play points. So he could probably go out there, and he's a big guy, right? So I, I think like yeah. I like Monahan obviously more than Richie or or Max Domi, who's obviously right. traveled around a lot. But I, I'm just saying to me, those are more third line guys as opposed to you're gonna have to give up a lot, guys. I don't know if you've noticed, Bo Horvat's kind of having a good season. So I mean you're not you're gonna have to give up more than a first round pick to get to get Bo Horvat, right? Like he's the captain of the Canucks. So I, I would maybe again, I'm not maybe Chevy, you know, brings in a guy like Brock Besser, or maybe he brings in, you know, one of those bigger name guys, but to me, like a, a Sean Monahan makes a ton of sense for this team. Well, let me ask you guys this. I mean, as things currently stand where the Jets are in the standings, and let's fast forward a, another couple weeks where, you know, and if they're still in a similar position, and I don't expect there's going to be a significant drop off, there's no indicator that this team's going to go into a tailspin. Are you comfortable dealing the first round pick this year for, you know, as part of an upgrade? I mean, because from my perspective, it's a no brainer. Yeah, exactly. It's a late first rounder. You're going to, what's it going to be, 22nd to 27th overall, something like that. I mean, it's not going to be any, it's not going to be any higher than probably 20th overall. So it's a late first round pick, right, Drew? So I I think, you know, especially with the expiring contracts coming up, right? The big ones, Shifley, Dubois, Hellebuck. I mean, it just makes a ton of sense to be all in this year. This year, I I mean, you got, sorry, go ahead, Dave. No, I just want to jump in and, and say, like, you know, look, we're all for accruing prospects and you want the organization. And then we saw, you know, when they were going for it earlier, you know, four or five years ago, they were willing to trade those first round picks. And then the organization had a lack of that. Right now they've re-added to the to the to the prospect pool with those, you know, first rounders as he and you've added Hainola, you've added Chaz Lucius, you've added Cole Perfetti, you've added. Uh, obviously Lambert and and McGordy. So you've mm-hmm. added a bunch of guys who are going to be in the system for you know the next kind of round when these guys the older guys are gone are leaving. But we've talked about it. Jets players, I mean, I remember I, I can't remember the media availability with Blake Wheeler and someone asked him about something about the draft. And it's like, what does this guy care about though? Care. Like they like, well, why would they? I mean, again, if you're saying you know, hey, this is gonna be good for the organization in five years. 
but it could also make a difference this year for your team. Well, I'm pretty sure every player is going to say, well, let's make a difference for my team this year and let's do something. So, I mean, at the end of the day, at some point, you have to say, look, as you just said, you've got Connor Hallibuck, you know, for two more years. You've got Pierre-Luc Dubois, you've got Mark Shifley. Like, this is your time. This year and next year are your time. And if you think your team is good enough, then you need to do what you need to do in order to augment it. Because, again, we've just touched on it. From a depth perspective, you need more than what you've got right now. So I think, you know, mm-hmm. look, Connor Hellebuck is a great equalizer. We've we've ta- we've seen it for the last seven games, eight games. I mean, we've seen it all season. We've seen it since in his career. But we've especially seen it with all the injuries and what he's been able to do. And so from, from that point of view, from my point of view, you've got to make a move. And I don't say it lightly because we know how talented this draft is. As It's always funny when scouts focus on drafts. And we remember when we were in uh, Philadelphia at the Nick Ehlers draft. And I'll, uh, we were taking the bus from the hotel to the draft in at the at the arena. And I'll never yeah. forget it. The scouts were already talking about the 15 draft. And they're like, well, this guy's an A prospect. This guy, like they, they were already mindset focused on 15, not on 14. And, and again, similarly, we know how focused everybody is on the 23 draft. So, And the scouts knew that the Jets were going to take Kyle Connor 17th overall. It was really weird how they knew that. Well, it was weird. It was, it was two Boston scouts. And they're like, well, we'd never, we'd never take that Kyle Connor guy. He stinks. You know, it, it just seems, especially with the way the West is right now, because you can't tell me that there's one, t- you know, every team in the West, you know, if you say Vegas is the best team in the West, if you want to go with that, and I, you know, I'm fine with that. You don't know what they have with Logan Thompson. He's never played a playoff game uh, at the NHL level, you know, so who knows what is going to happen in Vegas? You know, who knows what's going to happen? You know, Dallas and Winnipeg, you can't tell me there's a lot of difference between those two teams. They both have, you know, very good goaltenders, you know, Hellebuck and Ottinger. They both have very talented blue liners, you know, Heiskanen and Morrissey. They have both have very talented goal scorers and, you know, Connor and Robertson. I mean, th- th- there's a lot, you know, th- there's a lot of similarities between those two teams. And then, of course, you still have, uh, you know, the, the Colorado Avalanche, who everyone expects to make a push. The West is so wide open that there's no reason not to go for it this year. Last year, you know, Colorado was so head and shoulders above everyone else that there wasn't be no reason to to push your chips all in the middle last year. Colorado was the best team in the West. It was evident. This year, you know, it, it, you tell me who's that one team is is way better than another team in the West. I wouldn't agree with you just simply because they they are all so evenly matched. And that never never mind some of the other teams that are you are expecting to be up there that haven't had great seasons, the Calgary's, the Edmonton's, you know, the Colorado's, uh, Minnesota's sort of right on the cusp there. You know, they have all the talent in the world with Kaprizov, of course. So this year seems to be the year to, to you know, really make a splash if you're Kevin Dayoff and you're the Winnipeg Jets. And I'd be of the opinion you're better off doing it sooner rather than waiting towards the deadline. Don't wait for the deadline because at the deadline itself is when silly things happen. That's when Ben Sherratt, uh gets a first round pick, you know, things of that nature. And then, you know, no, no offense to Sherratt, of course, but I mean, that looked bad in hindsight. I mean, it looked bad when it happened based on the, his analytical numbers, but it looks even worse. If you're the Jets and there's an opportunity to strike early because as I think Pierre Lebrun referenced in The Athletic or on TSN, look, all these teams that just watched Connor Bedard, you know, perform magically uh, at the World Juniors, those teams want to get worse earlier. They don't want to, if they're in the, in that running, they don't want to be, you know, uh, bad. They don't want to be mediocre up until the trade deadline and then get bad. They want to be bad tomorrow. 
so that they can get better odds. Uh, so it's and, no, you're now. you're 100 right, Drew. And it's and it's not just so you're in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. It's because you also want to be just generally a bottom five, bottom seven team because of the other players that are really good, right? Like sure. Dave mentioned it. Like the scouts know what they're doing. These guys are full time. I mean, they know their prospects much better than we do. Do they get things wrong? Of course. That's why Corey Proman of the Athletic always comes out with, you know, he does he redrafts. He goes, who did what did I get wrong a year later, right? And he admits it. So it's not an exact science. But I mean, when you consider a guy like Adam Fantilli, who you just saw play for Canada at the World Juniors, he's having an incredible year for the University of Michigan, right? He's expected to go seventh, pardon me, second or third overall after Bedard, who everybody knows is, it's not going to be like last year, boys, when we had Huss on and we thought Shane Wright was going to go either first or second overall, and then he ends up going fourth overall. I mean, Bedard, you can already pencil him in as first overall. We just don't know what team, but a guy like Zach Benson, we've the talked about him. Trophy next year already. Right, but you know, in Vancouver, I know they've been talking about a guy like Zach Benson because he's from BC, plays for the Ice. He's a guy that's mm-hmm. expected to go, you know, somewhere, you know, in the top ten, could be as high as you know fourth or fifth overall. He's an excellent player. So it's that you want to be ideally in a position, you know, to get Connor Bedard, but only one team's going to get Bedard, right? So like, if you are, you know, if you end up finishing twenty fifth or twenty sixth in the in the league, your chances of getting Bedard aren't very good, right? It's going to go to the chances are much better for the thirty first or or 32nd team. So you're talking about the Blackhawks, you're talking about the Blue Jackets. So I think this year there's there it's similar to 2015 in that there is going to be really good players drafted, you know, as, as, in the mid first round. So, you know, it's it's a huge draft year and and you're right. I think the Jets, you know, would be well advised to, you know, get in on the trade market a little bit early if possible, but but I go back to Drew. I think, you know, it comes back to you know, the window, we're towards the end of the window for this team. It's not like 2018, 19, you know, when you had, you know, Shifley locked up for, you know, four or five more years and Hellebuck locked up for four or five more years. I mean, we just don't know. I think there's a good chance Hellebuck stays, but when it comes to Shifley and and Dubois, I mean, look at Shifley could sign another long-term deal with the Jets. I'm not saying that's out of the realm of possibility, but I think, you know, it's very unlikely that all three of Shifley, Dubois and Hellebuck sign long-term with the Jets because simply the Jets aren't going to be able to afford all three. I, I, and, and all indications, of course, are still from Pierre-Luc Dubois and, and, and his uncertainty of his future is that, you know, he seems to have his heart set on going to Montreal. And when he's a free agent, that's all the power to him for doing that. I mean, the way the this season has turned, I would end up actually signing a contract extension when he's eligible to do so. Uh, you know, next off season, I think, you know, usually don't the Jets like that's what they did with Wheeler sort of a year out uh, before his current contract expired. He signed that extension right uh, as training camp was going to begin. And the way Shif- the way Shifley's year has has occurred and the bounce back and the buy in that you're seeing, I wouldn't I would not be surprised to see something similar happen to him uh, next September. But we're a long ways off from that. But, you know, because they want they're in absolutely as to your point. They are most definitely in win now mode because they have this year and potentially next year with Dubois, with Hellebuck, you know, under contract without needing an extension or anything else. So this is the time where you need to strike if you're going to do it. And the way they've started the year while battling through a litany of injuries is 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 reason enough to believe that they're going to uh, make a big splash, Dave. Yeah, I mean, that's what I advocated earlier. I think that there's no reason not to. I mean, at a certain point, you have to be willing to go for it. You have to be willing to say, this is what our team is. 
This is what we've got. And I, I think if you're a Jets team and they, if all indications are they, they're thinking that way, then you have to think that, you know, this is, as he's right, it's not four or five years ago. You know, this is Blake Wheeler's got that window. You know, Blake Wheeler's having a pretty good season, you know, again, obviously he's, uh, you know, not injury notwithstanding, but this is probably your year to do it. Now, could you do it? And if you realize you're not going to get all these guys back, make some radical changes next year and, you know, re, uh, you know, get back all of the the capital that you've lost. Sure. It, it's a chance. You have to be willing to take risks, right? Like I can understand being risk averse, but at a certain point in the NHL, if you just want to be middling or you want to be in the middle, you can do that and you can have success, but you're not necessarily going to win the Stanley cup. And ultimately the reason why these guys put on a Jersey and they play the game, get paid millions of dollars, but also because they want to get a chance. They want to have a pretty good chance of winning a Stanley cup. And that's every guy's dream. It's every kid's dream, you know, growing up playing on the backyard rink is to win the Stanley cup. So you're not, you're not sitting there going, we hope we win the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Maybe as a GM you are, but none of the players are, all the players are focused on winning that cup. And to do so you have to have depth and the jets have depth from a defensive perspective, not a concern. I know some people want the jets to get Jacob Trickman and I can understand that. And I'm not suggesting that he wouldn't help this team. I think he would, because obviously, even though he's a left shot, plays on the right side. I just think that's one of those things that Jets have to factor in. But, you know, of course, let's get to uh, the next. There's going to be a few teams that are after Jacob Chicker. And I think that's going to be the issue. Uh, you know, if the Jets are at all interested, Dave, it's that I think you're going to have to pay a pretty big price to get Jacob Chicker. There's no question you will. Let's talk about the Buffalo Sabres and everything. Everything going on throughout the NHL with our very good friend, Marty Biron, joining us on the program. Marty, great to see you this morning. How are things? Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Uh, I was just asking this uh, this morning, Minnesota's in Buffalo, so I saw some of their trainers and people I uh, like to see once a year in Buffalo, and I said, Happy New Year. And then I was like, is it too late to wish somebody Happy New Year, like a week? Is it too late? But Happy New Year to you guys as well. I would say, Marty, like two weeks. I think two weeks. Two if, weeks. You're, okay. if you're wishing somebody a happy new year on like January 25th, I think that's too late. But I think the first couple of weeks you're good. I, I always say like, are, is your uh, Christmas decoration still up? If they are still up, you can wish people happy new year. So that's good. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. My wife and kids are taking ours down right now because uh, I think they wait. My <laughs> wife says she waits till epiphany happens. And I'm not really yeah. sure what epiphany is. The good folks in the chat will let me know. But uh you're asking three Jewish guys what epiphany is. I'm 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 out of my element in that front, Marty. But my, my wife and kids are taking the Christmas decorations down. So today is the last day I can say Happy New Year. So I'll sneak okay, it under the wire for you. I like Marty, it. That's good. And you guys on. must be feeling pretty good with yeah. the way the Jets played last night and everybody coming back into the lineup. So that was uh, I was pretty special to see uh, a big win against Tampa for sure. I thought the best part was the uh, intermission analysis. That was my favorite part, actually. Oh, I got to say, Marty. Well, you know, when I we brought up the old Run Tugnut video from his 1991 performance of 70 saves against Ray Bork, Cam Neely, and the Boston Bruins in the old Boston Garden, I thought that was my best segment because I didn't have to say much. Just let the the roll the the video roll, and it was perfect. Well, let's talk about that briefly, even though we're going to talk about the Jets and we're going to talk about the Sabres. But, you know, UC Soros and the performance that he put on earlier this week. You know, when you're a goalie and and, and you're sort of in the zone like that, how does it feel? Like, what what, what is going through your mind when when the the puck seems as big as a beach ball, to use that old uh, euphemism? 
Yeah, it feels great. Uh, although you don't want to face 67 shots in the game because the odds that one or two or three, four, five, six are going to go in is greater. But you definitely get on a roll. And the way that Soros' performance was, um, so he faced 28 shots in the third period alone. So I look at around the National Hockey League, like 28 shots is sometimes a game, right? He phased that in the third period alone. So it wasn't like a heavy load in the first and then not much in the second and third. It kind of built. First period, I think, was 15. Second period was 20-something. Third period was 28. So it built up, right? And I think that's why, like, as a goaltender, you, you, you start to get into a rhythm. And at that point in the third period, you're like, you're not scoring. I'm making the saves. And he made a couple of beauties on Zvechnikov. Uh, Soros is so athletic too, so it, it works out for him. But I, I, so I did some work because I was working the Jets game last night, and I'm like, I wonder what's the most saves Connor Hellebuck's had in the game. 51. 51 is the most save Connor Hellebuck had in the game. I'm like, that's still 13 away from UC Soros. That's a period <laughs> away, right? Uh, the most I made in the game was 48, I think. I'm like, I'm 16 sh- saves away from UC Soros. Like, that is a ton of shots and saves that Soros had. You know, Marty, let's get let's talk about the Jets a bit, but, and then we'll get into the Sabres, but the, they play each other, I think, twice in the next uh, almost two or three weeks. So obviously, next week in Buffalo and then the return yep. engagement in Winnipeg. You know, this Jets team has obviously performed tremendously well this season, record-wise, certainly, and even on the ice, uh, you know, with a lot of, without a lot of guys in their lineup. And then last night, they get the four guys who step right back in. You know, what does that do to a dressing room when, you know, Rares get back into into the game and into the lineup uh, when a team has been performing so well. Is that like an energy boost in the dressing room, or is there sort of a little bit of uh, uncertainty how the new fit is going to sort of come back to to fruition? It always depends. Uh, if there are new guys that are coming in from trades or call ups, then there's a little bit of uncertainty. But when you're getting Perfetti, uh, Wheeler. Uh, you're getting Schmidt and you're getting Ehlers back. Like, you know what these guys are going to do. So it's a clear uh, emotional boost, the energy boost that you're going to get. Now, you have to understand that they're not going to be mid-season form, especially Ehlers who's missed like 36 games. And uh, there's a lot of players that miss legitimate time, like even missing nine games. Nine games is almost a month, right? So, uh, you know, for Wheeler and for Schmidt, I think that missed nine games. Um, that is going to take some time. And you saw it in the first period and maybe even the first two periods. Uh, those players, uh, not that they struggled, but it wasn't the same level at five-on-five. Five. Like you put them on the power play, especially on the five-on-three, they're going to snap the puck around. They're going to move it better uh, because they have the time to think. At five-on-five, five, they didn't really have the time to think. So it's going to take some time. Uh, and Ehler said it after the first period to John New. I think he's like, Oh, that was awful, awful first period. I felt awful. It was brutal. But um, so you're going to get that. But the energy boost throughout the lineup uh, was there. Uh, man, how good is Josh Morrissey? I know every time I come on this show, I talk about Josh Morrissey. But even last night, like the second period starts and the Jets are not playing well, although they're tied 1-1. And then who gets a two-on-one and does the toe drag? Vasilevsky made a nice save. It's Josh Morrissey. Who takes ownership on the five-on-three? It's Josh Morrissey. Like, I, he's just, what did he have, three points last night again? Like, this is just amazing, amazing from their uh, their all-star on the blue line. Okay, Marty, we got to talk about the Buffalo Sabres, of course, and the Jets play them uh, later next week. And we're, we're going to talk about Tage Thompson, but 
you know, I did a little bit of research and uh, Lance Lasowski of the Buffalo News wrote about this. So his, this comes from his numbers. But, you know, we're talking obviously about Yuko Pekalakonen. We're talking about Eric Comrie, who we should mention is on a conditioning stint right now with the Rochester Americans. He's been out since, I believe, around mid-November. So they're going to have to make yeah. a decision. But And you can speak to it more because I, I believe the Sabres are talking about with going with three goaltenders on their 22-man roster, which, as you know, is is not the most common. But if you were to look at Yuko Pekka-Lukonen's numbers, you'd say, okay, he's got eight wins, 904 save percentage, 3.24 goals against. But, and this is thanks to Lance Lasowski here, in his past five starts, UPL has a 925 save percentage, um, all, all five wins, and he ranks fourth in the NHL since mid-December in goals save above expectation. So, as you know, Yuko Pekka-Lukonen is playing really well. Some Jets fans might might not know that, but I guess uh, what has impressed you the most about UPL and, and what do you see uh, the Sabres doing once Eric Comrie is ready to return? So, uh, Lukonen is a, a tall goaltender, very athletic, very good down low, great post plays, uh, great lateral movement and agility. Um, I feel that sometimes he has a tougher time tracking the puck from out far. And even though he's big, he plays low. He hunches over and he plays low. So when there's a screen, I feel like he has a tough time battling through it, but he's gotten better. And that's what you want to see, right? You can do it at the AHL level. And all of a sudden you're at the NHL level and you're like, man, the game is going so fast and the screens are very uh, uh, in the way. And I can't, I can't see the puck as well. And I think every step the way has been better. So um, he's been he's been really good, and and Craig Anderson has been really good. Both goaltenders in the last month, I've got very similar numbers when you look at goals save above expectations. So uh, they've both been good. Eric Comrie was really good early in the year, and then unfortunately for him, the Sabers lost eight in a row because they were missing a lot of defensemen, and it affected Comrie's game. He kept getting lit up for five goals, six goals, five goals. Not his fault, uh, and then he got hurt. So he is, he played last night in a conditioning stint, his third game in Rochester. I would think that's going to be it. He'll probably rejoin the Sabres shortly here. Um, And I never like having three goalies. Having three goalies is the worst. There's two nets on the ice for practice. Goalies want their own net. They want their work, right? But the situation in Buffalo is that Craig Anderson's 41 years old. He doesn't always practice anyway. Uh, and when he does, it is being managed. So you could have three goalies and basically have Anderson kind of, I don't want to say push to the side, but just understand the situation that they're looking at the future. They're looking at Lukanen. How can we continue to develop him? You know, early in the season, the best place for him to develop was in the AHL. Now it's the NHL. And Eric Comrie needs to play at the NHL level. So, you know, uh, how do we move forward with Comrie and Lukanen? So I think for the short term, they'll probably carry three goalies. Uh, that means they're going to have to make a move on the roster. Maybe it is uh, Casey Fitzgerald get, gets put on waivers and sent back to Rochester. And then when Henry Yokiaru comes back, it's going to have to be another one. So that's going to complicate things. But in the short term, I believe they're going to keep three and give Lukanen and Comrie a chance to continue their development. And that may put Craig Anderson on the side a little bit, but they're not trading Craig Anderson. They're not waving him. They're not like cutting him loose. Like they're not going to do any of that. Like, they respect him and he still has a big part to play in the organization. 
Saturday morning, you're watching the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're live on YouTube. Marty B. Ron, analyst on TSN, RDS, and MSG is our guest, talking about the Buffalo Sabres and everything in the NHL, the Jets into Buffalo next week to face the Sabres. Well, Marty, when Tage Thompson signed his seven-year extension back in August, a lot of people made fun of GM Kevin Adams and, and saying, well, you know, he has the, the I, I think, a 30, what was his, 35 38 goal season 30, last yeah. year. So you're thinking, well, is that is is it putting the cart before the horse? Are you trusting this guy too much? Well, that contract looks like it's a bargain right now, given he has 38 goal or 30 goals already this season. So what are you seeing from Tage Thompson? Because he wasn't really on the radar, maybe for a lot of people who don't follow the Buffalo Sabres, but that's going to change after this season. Uh, that changed a little bit last year. You said 38 goals, and 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 most of his production was in the second half. I would say when Alex Stuck uh, was healthy enough and joined that line. So it's Jeff Skinner, Tage Thompson, and Alex Stuck. And this season, they started without Tuck on their line, and Don Granado quickly said, eh, you know what, I got to put Tuck on that line. And then Tage Thompson, after a slow start, really took off. I remember the game against Chicago at the end of October. I think that was October 29th, uh, where I asked Don Granado that morning, I said, is Tage putting too much pressure on himself? And Don says, I talked to him. He wants to score every game. He wants to be the one of the best player in the NHL. He wants to be midseason form, and we're only six games in. He he needs more time to get there. Well, that night against Chicago, uh, he scored two, uh, and then it just you know the next game against Detroit. I think he had a six point night. Uh, it's just been like crazy for Tage Thompson. But you're right. It took him a little longer. Number one, he was drafted by St. Louis, was traded in the Ryan O'Reilly trade, came to Buffalo, played a little bit, then went back to Rochester, got called up to Buffalo, separated his shoulder, needed shoulder surgery, missed the rest of the year. There was the COVID year where, you know, he was taxi squad for a little bit and then in and out of the lineup. So there, there was a lot that went in the, in the way of his development. And last year when Don Granado moved Tate Thompson to the middle and said, you know what, I think we got to play him center. I think that he's being restricted on the wall. He's six foot seven. I know he's listed at six foot six, but when a guy has to dip down before coming into the locker room, um, he's six foot seven in my books, right? With his skates too, it's probably six nine on on skates. So um, it, being restricted with the wall, being restricted in 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 space on the ice, put him in the middle and open up that ice. It really unblocked his potential. So uh, and he just can shoot the puck. Uh, he, he'll go to the All-Star game. I can't wait to see him in the hardest shot competition because this season alone, and this is numbers from like a month ago, uh, there was 17 shots that were recorded over 100 miles an hour in the NHL uh, for the first two months of the season. Tate Thompson had six of them. Six out of the 17 shots recorded over 100 miles an hour, they were Tate Thompson's, right? So, um, yeah, I can't wait to see what he does at the All-Star skills competition, the hardest shot, but... That's what he does. He has skills. He has the shot. Uh, he has the, the reach, the size, the strength. Uh, he's pretty special. Marty, when you look at this Buffalo Sabres team, I mean, they're not in a playoff spot right now. 19-5-2 on the season. You know, good record, especially given the, the last decade of, of lean years in Buffalo. You know, goal differential of plus 21, which is very impressive. You know, is this a better team than their record indicates or than people are necessarily maybe giving them credit for at this point in the year? 
Um, no, I think if you look at the betting line at the start of the season for the Sabres, the over-under on points for the year was set at 80 and a half. So that's basically Vegas had the Sabres at a 500 hockey team, right? They may get between 78 mm -hmm. and 82 points or whatnot. Um, so then they did have an eight-game losing streak, uh, which really right. set them back. But uh, they are where I think they were going to be. So you have the top three in the Atlantic, Boston, Toronto, Tampa. And then I had Buffalo, Detroit, and Ottawa in a group that was going to compete for that, that fourth place in the Atlantic division uh, and maybe for a wild card spot. So the point total at the end of the year doesn't really matter to me is where do you fit yourself in the Atlantic division in the Eastern Conference? So to me, uh, Detroit is a team that made a lot of moves last year and they're trying to get forward. Ottawa is the same way. The Sabres are the same way. So how do you compare yourself in the development of these other teams? And, and I think they're ahead. I think they're ahead of these other teams. Now, they did beat Boston. You know, it was in overtime, but that's a big win against Boston. They beat Washington. Well, that was a big win against the Washington Capitals as well. Uh, two of the hottest teams now. So they've been able to respond. Um, earlier in the season, they had lost to Tampa. They had lost to uh, to Boston. They had lost to a bunch of those teams. So they're flipping it around right now, which uh, was good for the Sabres. Now, Marty, I have to ask you about Owen Power because I'll admit I haven't watched, uh, certainly have not watched the Sabres as much as, as you yeah. have, but I've only watched them a little bit. I know he's still looking for his first goal, his first NHL season. But, I mean, you look at the Sabres back end, obviously led by Rasmus Dahlin, but it's very young. And you mentioned earlier Henry Yokiharyu. He's going to come back. Um, eventually, but you know it's it's a very young defense, and I just wanted to ask you, you know, how you would assess his his first half of his season. As we mentioned, this is his first you know NHL season. The the sky's the limit. I think you'd agree for Owen Power, but kind of what what would be your kind of macro level assessment of his game so far? He's been excellent. He's been excellent, and yes, he hasn't scored this year. He did get a couple of goals last year when he finished his season at Michigan and joined the Sabers for the end of the season, uh, but. He has been logging in some major time. So the top four for the Sabres when you started the season was Dallin and Matthias Samuelson, Owen Power, and Henry Yokiaryu. Now there's been some injuries. Uh, and they've had to rely heavily on Dallin and Power and with Samuelson. Those guys are in the top 40, I believe, in ice time in the National Hockey League. They're the, I think there's only two teams that have three defensemen in the top 40 in ice time. So they've relied on Power, Samuelson, Dallin. Now, Kel Clegg is now playing with Power. And Kel Clegg's a guy that people are going to say, who? Like, he, he was through the Montreal organization. He was in Rochester this year. Got called up because Power got hurt uh, in Colorado in the pregame warm-up. And Clegg has been fantastic. So they really rely on their top three, top four uh, and power has been great. He's, yeah, he, the offense hasn't been there all that much, uh, but the ice time, just last game uh, against Washington, in the first period, he played seven minutes and 45 seconds. It was most amongst defensemen, I believe. Uh, and when you multiply that for, by three, that's another 23-minute night, right? I mean, that is a lot of minutes uh, for a first-year NHL defenseman. 
Marty, got to ask you about the World Juniors because that was some fantastic <laughs> hockey. Now, as a goaltender, I'm not so certain you're going to want to break down the American and Swedish game because that was, you know, after a <laughs> shocking to think that it was a one nothing game after 20 and somehow ended up yeah. 8-7 in overtime. But the Canada and Czechia game was phenomenal uh, gold for the gold medal. And what were your overall thoughts about the World Juniors? I thought it was great. Uh, first of all, uh, Moncton, Halifax, they did a fantastic job hosting the event. Uh, the buzz was there in every single game. I mean, I, I watched uh, Latvia, Austria, and the Austrians scored and the building erupted, right? And it was like, <laughs> oh, like they're into it. So that was fun. I always love uh, playing junior hockey down the Maritimes, and they really showed up, and it was great. Uh, the Canada-USA semifinal games was awesome. Again, um, I think uh, USA got, I will say it, they got screwed on the first goaltender interference call, but the second mm -hmm. one was definitely a no goal, but I thought the first one should have counted. But it was great hockey. And the finals between Canada and Czechia, um, I thought Canada had it in the bag. Uh, you know, it's 2 nothing. They seem on cruise control. Czechia did that to Sweden in the semifinal where they scored in the last minute and scored an OT. So then they get two goals, right? Mm -hmm. Two goals uh, to tie it. And uh, um, so it, it, it had me on the edge of my seat. I felt bad for Yuri Kulik, who's a Czechia player that uh, plays with the Rochester Americans. He's uh, a first-round pick of the Sabres last draft in Montreal. Um, he's the one that lost the puck on entry and then mm -hmm. Canada goes down the other way and scores the game winner. Uh, and I saw Yuri after the game on TV and he's crying and I'm like, this is just heartbreaking because for Czechia, it was huge. You know, this mm -hmm. is a tournament where Russia wasn't mm -hmm. there. Czechia played great. Slovakia played great. Uh, Sweden and Finland are always good. I felt like we now have more than just the top two, top three in the world at the junior level. We had great competitive balance and it was a fun tournament to watch. Marty, last question for you. Going back to the Sabres, I was reading an article not that long ago at, you know, towards the beginning of the year that talked about the Sabres' power play struggles. Well, fast forward a few months later, they're now the second best power play in the league, just trailing the juggernaut Oilers. What, is, what has changed from the beginning of the season to now? And, and, and what are the Sabres doing that's so effective on that power play? Um, they've got their spots. Uh, I mean, you have Tage Thompson on the left. That is the one-timer uh, threat like Ovechkin, like Stamkos can be. On the right side, on the right flank, you have Dylan Cousins, who's been really good. He's a righty, so he's not a one-timer shot, but he likes to do the candy cane. He comes out of the zone like Patrick Kane would do uh, on the other side and then gets it, and then he opens up to either Alex Stuck or Jeff Skinner, and there's a bumper position, and obviously you got Rasmus Dahlin at that blue line, right? And he's such a good facilitator, like Dahlin to me. Kind of like Josh Morrissey, reads the defense. He's like a quarterback that understands that if he goes five feet to the right, everybody's going to switch over and then boom, you hit Thompson <laughs> with the pass. Or you go the other way and then they still cheat on Thompson, you have a shot lane to the net. Like Dallin has been so good. Uh, but their offense, ultimately the Sabres' offense, they're number one in the league in goals per game. Uh, and they're over four a game now. I mean, that's pretty significant. So uh, to be able to score four goals on average, um, yeah, that's going to put your power play in a very good light as well. Marty Biron covers the Buffalo Sabres for MSG. You also see him, of course, on Jets broadcast here with his work for TSN. Marty, Marty just before we let you go, I, don't, I just wanted, <laughs> to, sorry, I wanted to mention this. I don't know if you can see this in the chat. Matt Roby Show uh, wrote, I actually used to root for Buffalo growing up just because of Marty Biron. So I thought that, that was pretty awesome. Well, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, that uh, 
I would have thought maybe he was cheering for Hasek or Miller or something like that. But, oh, and by the way, for, <laughs> you know, the hockey fans and the goalie fans, Ryan Miller's uh, Sabres Hall of Fame induction and Jersey retirement ceremony is next week on the 19th, I think now maybe in two weeks. Um, and so if you're a big, uh, you know, hockey fan, a big goalie fan, that's going to be a special night here in Buffalo when Ryan Miller's jersey goes right next to Dominic Hasek and Rick Generate and LaFontaine and Danny Gare and Tim Horton and the French Connection. So it's pretty special. That'll be a great awesome. night in Buffalo for that. And the Jets will be in Buffalo next week to face the Sabres. Marty, thanks yep. so much for this. We always appreciate catching up with you. Have a great weekend. You guys have a good Happy New, New Year, year Marty. as well. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Marty. <laughs> take care. There he goes. Marty Biron joining us on the program. We take our final week and come back and wrap this morning's show. Stay tuned. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show live on YouTube and all of our social media platforms. A couple minutes before the top of the hour, welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsburg with you on this Saturday morning. Big thanks to Jason Bell. Big thanks to Marty Biron for joining us. Great insight from both both of them in case you missed any of the any of the show the immediate replay here on our youtube channel and of course the podcast dave m will have that up and ready for you asap as always we ask you to smash the like button subscribe to the youtube channel subscribe to the podcast page leave us feedback on the podcast page and uh, the itunes allows for comments so leave us some comments there as well we always appreciate hearing from our loyal audience reminder the illegal curve post game show that'll come your way tomorrow afternoon right around 4 45 p.m myself and dave manuk will bring you everything that had to do with the jets and the canucks i understand that as he's still going to be recuperating at that point in time maybe he's going to be it's going to be ice packs at that point or still the maybe frozen peas or is it still going to be the core the same bag of corn there no, no no i think i'm going to switch it up i also have an ice pack at home so yeah i'm just going to keep it uh, nice and cool keep my boys nice and cool that's good. um but i think by yeah, uh by the that. time you know tomorrow rolls around i should be much better i don't think i have to you know worry about that they say 48 hours so uh yeah me and my new boys uh now, yeah we're going to be ready to go now your, your boys were commented on as being quote by you know by dr j as quote very tight do you know what that means? Because I have no idea what that means, and it sounds very painful. Well, yeah, you want to. I guess that's that's how we're gonna we're gonna end with a bang, as they say, right, Drew? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, like you you had the procedure, so you're sitting there. I mean, you're 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 numb, right? They give you. I was not said that anything was tight. There was no tightness. Well, I, I well the thing is, first off, I can't feel it down there, and he's the doctor. He's the one who's like. In my mind, I kind of know what he's doing, but I'm not really like I don't know what he's exactly doing. There's incisions and you know, tubes are being tied and I have no idea. But when he said that the first time I was like, okay. And then I felt something like, you know, he was doing something down there. And then he mentioned it again <laughs> that I was, that I was pretty tight down there. So I asked him like, you know, is, is that common that, you know, people get tight and he said, not really. So that kind of, it's like when you go to see a dermatologist and you show them like, you know, you show them something and they say, I've never seen that before. Right. Like you never want to hear that from a dermatologist <laughs> because you assume a dermatologist has seen ev literally everything when it comes to the skin, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he said I was a little bit tight, so I, I think it took a little bit longer. It, might, it might, must just be, you know, because I'm so, so physically fit that that's why I'm tight in, the, in that area. But uh, as I mentioned, you know, shout out to Dr. Jay Buenefe. If you're thinking about, you know, getting the procedure done, um, it really is, you know, it doesn't take that long. And it's a, a few days of having some, you know, frozen peas on your balls. So it's, it's, it's really not that bad. 
And plus, we don't have to worry about any more Ginsburgs being brought into the world. So us around us can take a deep sigh of relief in that case, right, Dave? Uh, well, that, that's this is this has been something, all right. <laughs> Dave hasn't been through this, folks. So Dave doesn't know what Ezzy and I are talking about. Uh, you know, so maybe maybe uh, one day that'll happen to Mister Manuk and uh, not a and, chance. And they can be a, a, a not a chance. They, Dave's Dave's staying uh, fully Dave's, Dave's going to be a free agent forever. Yeah, exactly. He needs. He needs he, he needs to. My boys can swim. My boys can swim. You need to perform at peak uh, at peak Manuk at all times. Is clearly what we're learning about here today. But uh, yeah, there is no better way to wrap up this. Show I think one thing I learned that I didn't know before is that sperm and semen are actually two different things. Well, well, you know, congrats. Welcome to grade nine, uh, grade nine uh, science class there, Ginsburg. As he got kicked and out of that. Ed. You got, I bet you, and I'm sure as he's still trying to figure yeah. out how to put the condom just, on. The I used banana. to just go to cooking class. I did cooking class basically the entire day. I just skipped everything else and just kept going back to cooking. Very important, because and clearly that's where your expertise lies uh, on the food realm of things. So on the uh, sexual reproductive health side of things, uh, that's <laughs> it for this morning. Like I said, we'll be back tomorrow. Dave M and I, uh, four forty-five with the Illegal Curve post-game show following the Jets and the Canucks. Illegalcurve.com. The Jets are going to practice in about an hour, so Illegalcurve.com yep. will have all the latest news from the Winnipeg Jets practice. Want to say a big thank you to all the sponsors of Illegal Curve who make the Saturday show, the post-game show, the website a possibility. Our friends, Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club, Linden Market Dental Center, Zapia Group Realty, Betway, Tough Duck, Boston Pizza, Seagrams. Rollies Transfer, Grid Park, and the Keg support these fine businesses because of their continued support of illegal curve hockey. I Trace agree with Tracy, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, for the folks who are who are listening to the apologies. podcast, for the folks who are listening to the podcast, Tracy L just wrote, "I'm really missing the limitations of the show being on terrestrial radio right about now." I agree with Tracy. I wish uh, this is the one time I'm like, "Why are we not stuck with terrestrial radio?" Come on. And I saw a few minutes ago, just to, before we wrap up here, Kyle was asking. Uh, did I take the premium? Did I buy the premium package or take the needle method? Because you can pay um, for the premium package, but I can't afford that. So I just went. What with the, the hell's the difference between a, like what does that mean? He uses gloves or doesn't use gloves? No, 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 no. He I made sure that he wore, he double bagged it. So no, he he wore. Doctor J was wearing gloves for uh, for isn't big. Isn't ironic, Ezzy, that he, he double bagged it and you'll never have to bag it again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I just thought I just thought it was also funny that on on January sixth, twenty twenty one. I'm out of here. I'll see ya. January 26th, uh, pardon me, January 6th, 2021, there was an insurrection on the Capitol. And January 26th, 2023, there was no erection um, in for, for this guy. So get a left. My joke be the last Goodbye. one. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Our apologies for the last segment. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsburg. If it's Saturday, it's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Thanks for listening to this broadcast from Illegal Curve Hockey. For more great Illegal Curve content, subscribe to the Illegal Curve YouTube channel, follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, IllegalCurve.com.